Okay, let's start the show. It's December 19th, 2013. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Hello, everyone. We're back. We're back on the radio waves, on the podcast waves. I'm Norm, uh, hosting this week for This Is Only a Test. Possibly the last podcast we'll have this year. Will has been out on vacation. That's why we didn't have a podcast last week, and Jerry and I were down in L.A. Uh, but quickly, I wanted to introduce our guests. We have the A-plus team. It's not a B team. Uh, Wes Fenland's sitting immediately to my left. Hello. And Jeremy Williams, my favorite guest. To Wes's left. Thanks, thanks, Norm. Hi, thanks. I'm sure Wes will not take that personally. Uh, Wes is not a guest. Wes is uh, a member of the family. Yeah, Wes, Wes is the closer. I hope that intro music sounded better to your listeners than it did to I, me. I'm sure it did not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded great. I don't know. It sounded very lo-fi. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to apologize in advance. Uh, we're bootstrapping our podcast technology this week because uh, I'm sitting literally on a. A, a mess of snaking cables, and I feel like if I twist this chair a little too much, a cable is going to pop off, and like everything on this mixer is going to fall apart. Basically, this is not our normal setup. Um, because Will's out, we have uh, we're bootstrapping a bunch of stuff. Will being gone really just makes me wish that I got to sit here with like an Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard and just play annoying sound clips throughout the whole podcast. You know, that's great that you mentioned soundboards because we're going to jump to news right now. Uh, we have lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to go through some quick news, news over the past two weeks, uh, but it is the last podcast of the year. It's the end of the year, which I don't know how that happened so quickly. It's already 19th of December. It's already Thursday and it's already December. We're like a week and a half away from, from New Year's, less than a week away from Christmas. Uh, but we're going to talk about some end, end of the year stuff, talk about stuff that's on the site, some upcoming projects, talk about CES and all that fun stuff. Um, but soundboards. Have you guys played with soundboards? I'm using a soundboard right now on this computer. Yeah, man. Very, yeah. very last decade. It's awesome. Well, with physical soundboards. No. Oh, what are you talking about? Well, th- there there were physical soundboards like you you, you actually hardwire bu- real buttons buttons to audio clips, but software soundboards like flash soundboards yeah. like the one that um, Wes very, mentioned, very Schwarzenegger E-bo- one, World, Newsgrounds, oh, yeah, Newgrounds. I, I don't know who pioneered the internet soundboard. It was like the first viral audio clip, maybe not the first, but one one of the early viral audio clips was the famous Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard, in which. Um, Someone prank called uh, Dell Support, I think it was. Really? And did did a whole conversation with uh, sound clips from Terminator, Terminator 2, from um, Kindergarten Cop. Yep. Um, you know, who's your daddy? What does he do? Mm-hmm. Um, get to the chopper. Get No, no Predator. I don't think there really? was any Predator What's in What's the in point that. without get to the chopper? The point was that it was calling Dell Tech Support, and so the payoff was... I'm like, a, I'm a learning computer, that line, you know, <laughs> um, I'm a neural net processor, <laughs> yeah. learning computer, uh, but soundboards have been flipped the other way around and it, this week or last week, Time Magazine, um, 
issued a report about a robot telemarketer. And Wes, you wrote a story about this. So what's the deal with this robot telemarketer? So the robot telemarketer is probably not a robot, but we don't like don't know 100%. But the idea is this time bureau chief got called by a robot talking about insurance. First of all, that's a really bad person to target for yeah. with, with your like mysterious robot voice is someone who works heads up a news magazine anyway get called and realize that this this person calling them trying to sell them insurance sounds very nice and human except for the way in which their responses are doled out is like is kind of robotic and then so they started asking questions like what's the vegetable in tomato soup and it kind of paused for a second and then said i'm sorry i don't understand the question and then they'd ask it some other stuff and it would say I think we're having some interference. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> and and then hung up. So they kept calling this number back and testing it with all these questions saying, please just tell me that you're a person. And it would go, ha ha ha, of, of course there's a real person on the other end of this line and never actually yeah. say what they wanted. He wanted her to say, I am not a robot. Yeah. And she refused to say that. And so it's the same voice every time? The same voice. Sounds like a very nice lady. But, but many variants of I'm a real person. Yeah, it had two or three different responses for, of course I'm a real person. I am not a robot, but yeah. never exactly the phrasing that they asked it to say. When I read your story on this, I thought it was speech synthesis. So I was actually really excited that somebody invented you know, the Turing game for speech synthesis where you couldn't tell. And it was just absolutely... You thought there was a person typing like a person. on a computer... And then outputting as opposed to like this well, something. That's, uh, no, I thought it was like, hello, Google or whatever it is. Okay, Google. You know, I thought it was just like actually like interactive computer. Oh, speech okay, okay. Speech recognition. Right. Speech so, so, not, so, so not a, that's what I think of as robot. not typing to voice. Right. Um, which uh, was a really old technology that worked really poorly. Um, and something like Siri uses voice samples, just thousands and thousands of samples of an actress or an actor talking in, 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 you, like, voicing all the phonemes, um, everything, all the intonations or every type of words. I mean, if you can tap into your GPS, even your G, a GPS system, and I've, I've done this accidentally, like using a Bluetooth cable or something, um, I can get my car to recite every command in order that it knows, like turn left, turn left 50 meters, yeah. and like 50, 10, and and it's just weird. It's like hundreds of commands just for GPS. And we've all interacted with um, robot telemarketer or ro- robot answer machines. When you call, when you the call bank or something. Yeah. And, and, they, and those are not pretending to be human at all. But this is flipping it around and a robot calling someone pretending to be human. So Alexis Madrigal at The Atlantic did a really good investigation into this because his... His theory, and if you think about it, it makes sense. Like, if this was a robot doing this this voice and being this responsive and calling out to people instead of having calls come in, mm-hmm. it's really, really good. It's better than any, like, robotic voice software that anyone has ever seen. It's when, way... when you say robot, you mean completely autonomous. Autonomous. Right. right. Better okay. than Siri. Like, So he started investigating it, and his deduction based on talking to the kind of companies that make like robotic calling software is that nobody has developed anything this advanced even talked to i think nuance who was the only like a few other companies were like well if anybody could do it it was probably nuance and he, he called them and they're like that's not ours well you think about the database of uh, just the whole this the parts of the system you would need 
to synthesize a conversation, Turing machine like, like you said, Jeremy. Because Turing machine, we haven't even passed the point uh, where we can convince typers, not even with voice, that uh, the person on the line is real and simulate a conversation. I mean, to some extent, the robot can direct the conversation, and there are some outs, like the the interference thing. But um, the key is that it was able to respond way mm -hmm. too quickly to people's questions and what they said to the point that like the natural language recognition processing that would have to take place to process that fast enough just doesn't exist yet. Or wouldn't be worth for a telemarketer. So it is just a soundboard is the theory. So his theory is it's this outgoing voice recording software could not possibly be capable of this. And it's somebody basically with a soundboard listening to responses, a human listening to responses and then pressing buttons or, you know, triggering software responses based on what people are saying. Which in itself is interesting because that is a phenomenon that could only exist in our society where there has been backlash against overseas telemarketers and overseas call centers. And the idea that um, Lexis Magical and Atlantic put out is that it's someone that knows English, can maybe speak English and definitely understand English, but maybe can't speak English in the same voice that someone in the U.S. would want to hear or expect to hear, and so they have to hide behind the robot voice. Um, what I'm going to do right now is we actually have the conversation, one of the, the time uh, conversation, recorded conversations queued up, and I'm going to play. It's only about two minutes long. We're just going to sit and listen to it um, and see if you out there, if you haven't heard it yet, if you can, at what point do you realize that it's a robot or how does it come off to you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm calling about an online request you once made about health insurance coverage. Okay. We work with all major companies and compare... Hey, are you a robot? <laughs> what? No, I am a real person. Maybe we have a bad connection. I'm sorry about that. Oh, that's crazy. I see you just sound so much like a robot. I am a real person. Maybe we have a bad connection. I'm sorry about that. Will you tell me... You're not a robot? Just say, I'm not a robot, please. I am a real person. I mean, I believe you, but will you just say, I'm not a robot? It'll make me feel better to hear you say it. (laughs) There is a live person here. But I know there is. It would just make me feel so much better to hear you say, I am not a robot. (laughs) What? If you could say the words, I'm not a robot, it would really mean a lot to me. I am a real person. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I just want to hear you say, I am not a robot. Yes, I'm a real person. Right, but will you say I'm not a robot? (laughs) Health Enrollment Center? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you currently on Medicare? (laughs) Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. But now let me ask you a question. Medicaid or looking for Medicaid? We'll go, you ask me a question, then I'll ask you a question. How about that? Sure. Okay, are you a robot? (laughs) No. Will you say, I'm not a robot? It's interesting, some of her voice, some of the words that she says, she almost sounds perturbed, you know, that they have those samples. Where yeah, she, the, when she says no. Right, she says no. And I, I think we're... Okay. I think that's us I don't know. putting that in the conversation. Maybe. One of them definitely had, like, a, a lilt to it, or one of the early words where she said, like, 
I'm sorry you think that or something. She sounded sounded a little sad. Well, and why so many variations of I'm not a robot? And the variations are all the same structure. It's laugh. Yeah. I'm a real person. And then there's, is there something wrong with the call? There's something, there's maybe some interference. The and, laugh, and I think, format. is the biggest giveaway and also the creepiest part about it with the, like, the two-second pause and then the like laugh clip that yeah. lasts one second. And there are a couple moments in, in there where the audio just cuts off, like, or comes in abruptly, or where yeah. the, it, it, it's like there's like some mixing going on almost on, on the side of the telemarketer. <laughs> well, if you ever use a soundboard, if they have seven variations of I'm not a robot, he probably has 200 buttons. Mm. And he's trying to find the right one, you know? He's trying to find, no, I used laugh one already. I must click laugh two. It's like that alien that Pixar short. Yeah, who's right. Learning, right? Yeah, who's like a thousand pushing controls. all the buttons. Exactly. Right. Uh, to me, it also uh, calls to mind uh, this, uh, the thought experiments, the, the Chinese box thought experiment. Um, What's that? I've talked about this on the podcast before. It's a uh, cognitive science theory by uh, this professor named, uh, in Berkeley named uh, Searle, John Searle. And he was actually the, the guy that, have you seen the movie Sunshine? Yeah. Well, just half of it. <laughs> uh, just the first half, right? There's a guy named Searle in that, and he was named after uh, this, this professor of um, philosophy and cognitive science. And he came up with this thought experiment of uh, it's, it's basically disproving um, hard AI and saying that AI can't, AI can't have consciousness. Um, and the idea is that if there's a robot that sat inside a, a box or a person sat inside a box and received a card through the box and with that card matched up in a card catalog, the appropriate response in a different language, like received in a, a piece of a, a sentence in Chinese and then found the corresponding response and then output it yep. and had and passed the Turing test that way, would the person inside that box understand Chinese? Could you say that he understood Chinese? And the idea is that no, you, you wouldn't because he's just matching responses um, like AI would. And so to tie it to this, it's, it feels like that it, it's like, you know, Q response. And it's, it's not so much AI that's being uh, tested here. It's, it's like English proficiency and, and the English dialect. So my favorite part of this story is the time reporters kept calling back to this number. And eventually they didn't get Samantha West, the robot or, or voice board, whatever. They got this guy who worked for Premier Health Plans, which was this insurance company. Okay. And he basically said, uh, well, I, I can't, I don't know for sure if this is our, uh, this was one of our numbers, which doesn't make sense to me since they called it. The same I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, and he said, I'll check to see if this is a real employee at the company, but it'll take me a couple days. In the meantime, if you're going to publish this, I want you guys to publish the name of our uh, our company and our our number and stuff in there so we get something out of it. And Tom was like, yeah, sure, because they wanted to report <laughs> yeah. on anyway. And then the update at the end of the story is as of December 11th, one day after the story published, the phone number listed above was no longer answered by Samantha West. Rather, it diverted callers to a busy signal. Also, the website premierhealthagency.com had been taken offline. So one day before, this guy's like, yeah, put, put our website and our name out there, and now their website doesn't exist anymore. Here's an idea. What if Time Magazine has played into a brilliant viral marketing strategy for Spike Jones's Her. Oh. Just putting that out there. That would be pretty cool. Putting that out there. That was a, that's a brilliant connection. I thought you were just going to say some viral campaign, you know, something like Horsey Books, but Her. Oh. That would be the best viral advertising for a movie, I think, ever. 
Well, no one's falling in love with Samantha West yet. I think more people are falling in love with um, you the Kindle Kindle Fire HCX advertisement <laughs> woman. Taking it uh, offline Amy. would be a mistake because it would not give enough people the opportunity right. to to talk to you. Right. Is that movie West. out yet? Her this weekend, right? This maybe, weekend, maybe not. I saw reviews. I've, I've heard. I've heard only good things. Yeah. I know it's had early releases. It might be like officially wide releases. It weekend. could be. It could be. Walking Phoenix is his final. Is finally he gets his Oscar. He was so disappointed when he didn't get it in the Master. Yeah, it came out uh, yesterday. Oh, he was really good in the Master. You know, there's also a rumor that he might play Lex Luthor in the new Superman Batman oh, movie. That'd be good. I think, I approve. I, I think that would be good. I'm afraid that he would revert back to his like gladiator role. His, his was, spoiled he was angry. So, so young in he was, that. He was very young in that. I think yeah. he would be and, a very and he, different. Since, since then, he's had signs. He's been in signs. He was in signs since then. Oh, see, I yeah. Was, was he also in one. the village? You might be. Right. I never saw that. <laughs> I went one past, um, went past uh, Unbreakable and saw signs, but didn't see the village or the happening or Lady in the Water. Anyway, that was just an excuse so I could go <laughs> to make it just like a real podcast that we normally do. Um, last week, last Friday, uh, Valve released Steam OS beta. Um. I have not installed it yet. Video games on Linux. That's right. Exciting. Um, sort of. And also shipped out uh, the 300 prototype Steam boxes, which apparently iFixit was able to get one of what? 300. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like someone sent it to them. Someone got it. And then they did a, a teardown, and there's a great disassembly on, on their <laughs> site today, which is awesome. Do you know if that 300 included ones they sent to developers it did not. as well? Okay. No, this is just for the beta program. So I know like Double Fine got one. And yeah. I'm sure a yeah. lot of. Right, bigger independent developers probably got them. I mean, uh, Valve on their blog posted a photo of the assembly of these machines, and it looked like a, you know a big assembly warehouse where people they were putting them together. Uh, but nothing too remarkable about these PCs. Uh, they are just gaming PCs. Uh, it came in a really nice wooden crate, had some Valve-esque you know humor and decals on them, instruction manual. The big thing, of course, is the controller, which is a prototype controller, uh, USB. It's plugged in. It's wired, um, and doesn't have, I believe, the uh, the t- the, s- the uh, screen right right in the center. Uh, I don't know um, the people who got three hundred the three hundred prototypes if they're obligated to send those back, the mm. controllers at least, because that's that's the big like that's really rare for pr- prototype hardware to go out to the public like this. Um, even though you know the software isn't finalized either, uh, but. People have installed SteamOS, and you can run it. You can you, you need a right now as of right now you need a an NVIDIA card um, to which, run it, which will play into. Would you need an NVIDIA card eventually for their streaming technology? Depends how they're doing it. NVIDIA the NVIDIA Seven Series cards have the the uh, built-in encoder. That's, so NVIDIA has their own streaming solution that they're mm-hmm. working on, and Valve hasn't really talked too much about how theirs is going to work. Right? They haven't. Um, but it's. I don't think it's that difficult to tap into that. Um, or just use more processing power to, to compensate on the side. But the, this isn't the streaming box, though. This is this is the receiving box, right? But it could, it could like theoretic. I mean, it should be able to handle streaming, just like streaming out. Also, right? Like what we don't know is what that low end hundred dollar, hundred fifty dollar box looks like, and how that's going to work. Um, and Valve is going to be at CES, so we'll have to bug them about it there and figure it out. But I mean, the, the PC they sent out. They said it was a variety of specs. The one that I fixed the tore down was a 780 GTX. Micro ITX motherboard had a had a riser card, so that it fit into that case. Um, it did have, you know, 
a third-party cooler um, and spec'd out. It was about a $1,300 machine. Each case is unique, you know. There's three, really? There's 300 drilled holes in the side of it, and every wow. everybody's case has a large hole, but every hole, you know, everybody's hole is a different one. So if you it's see... It's a very Mr. Rogers, everyone's special. If you see photos, like oh, Val, they Val can, can that's, tell... That's their watermark? Who's, yeah, whose it is. Okay. I'm, I, right. I read that on Reddit, so it must be true. <laughs> it must be true. Did you see that Bill Gates gave out a Reddit gift? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Bill Gates is... And he had a great photo, too. He held out the, held up the, uh, the cow, the plush cow. So Reddit does um, uh, Secret Santa every year, and they're a massive online community. And apparently someone in Bill Gates' marketing team or business team... It could have been him. <laughs> I'm just saying, the guy's he retired. Did, he did the AMA time. himself when he did one of those. and Yes, but the physical, like, pack, I I, I want to believe that he, like, picked out the cow. I believe. And picked out the book. And then, I know, I'm sure you probably signed the card, but more likely he was doing a million other things in his day. And then one of his assistants said, okay, here, you need to sign this and take this picture by this tree. And, and, and I mean. Don't Grinch out, man. I, I've hung around people who've had to do those things, and they, just, they, they work on a schedule. Everyone's very busy. Has anybody seen SteamOS? Does it look like, it looks like big uh, TV mode? It looks like big TV. Yeah. All right. And, and again, there's none of that streaming functionality that I know of right now. Um, so really, it's just to, to get it working on Linux and, and get people plugging into their TVs. Uh, we'll be building one in the new year, so cool. we'll, we'll be testing it out. And, but I think we want to wait till there's more software and... and have something to show because fumbling through SteamOS with nothing to show is, isn't all that interesting. Sure would be good if you, sure would be cool if you could buy one of those prototype controllers. Yeah, you know, I know. I mean, early next year we're hoping, uh, but that, that's I think that's the thing that everyone's really interested in the, the box itself, the controller, the controller. Yeah, and whether it makes sense. I mean, there's always keyboard and mouse. Uh, also, late last week, uh, it was kind of random news. Like late Friday night, uh, this news dropped. A New York Times reported that Google has bought Boston Dynamics. Yeah, and that's the uh, Boston Dynamics is a robotics company. Did they um, did they say how much it, they paid no, for it? No, absolutely not. Uh, but it's a research firm that um, we actually saw the CEO of the company talk uh, at the Engadget Expand event uh, last year or earlier this year, earlier this year. Um, and he had some really cool things, like really cool ideas about you know the, the things they're doing are uh, to mimic animal movement. And just figuring out what about animal gait and the, the mechanics of movement can apply to robotics. Uh, and that's why they do things like the big dog and the Atlas robot. Um, and uh, most of the stuff they do is right now through government contracts, DARPA contracts. So research in how do you get you know, all-terrain type vehicles and, and robots to carry heavy loads in terrain. Um, but why, why did Google buy Boston Dynamics? I, don't know, I just think you should explain for some of your listeners who haven't seen these videos. Or I, made the I doubt that <laughs> many big, have big not. Dog. Big dog. It, they're the ones that make that amazing robot dog that yeah. can carry it's a 100 pounds, a mule, and can run 30 miles an hour. And well, it, no, no, no. They're, they're all separate robots. That one can't go that fast? No. So they have a robot that's the, the big dog that's the mule. That's the load-carrying one, and has, uh, it can follow a soldier. So they've tested in the field on the hills, and it can recognize the, the leader mm-hmm. and do a followed leader and navigate through paths, so over trees and stuff. And has the amazing thing has a stabilization system. So the big viral video was that you know you kick the side of the big dog right. and it stabilizes itself like a real animal. It doesn't like scream, but you kind of hear it like screech a little bit. 
it's really, really creepy. It sounds like some of these run on lawnmower motors. Like they rev them up, right? They have real powerful engines in there. They have real like high torque motors in there, yeah. uh, but low battery life. So a lot of that stuff is also tested in-house. For, so the one that can run real fast, the Cheetah one, uh, and the one they had showed in... Um, the Cheetah. The Cheetah. That, that's, that's a Transformers. Are you that, sure you're not a, thinking about Ma- Cheetara? No. Thundercats? No. No, the Transformers Maximal. I might not have gotten that far in, in Beast Wars. It, it was Beast Machines. Right, that was that was like a season three thing or something. They, no, it was, it, they switched it was early over. On. If, it's, um, if it's not Gen One, I'm not in the conversation. <laughs> uh, there, there's a cheetah robot that runs, um, I think, like 40 miles per hour, and that one is tethered for power. Okay. And then there was a demo of a one running uh, a bigger, big dog like uh, robot running in uh, a parking lot, and yeah. it did some like maneuvers where it could like hard brake and then turn around. I thought that was the 30 mile yeah. an hour. One. I, I don't think that was that fast. Yeah. Um, and then they have the Atlas uh, humanoid robot, which can can walk uh, on a treadmill and, and overcome some obstacles as well. But again, I ask, why did Google buy Boston Dynamics? So it's uh, one of the seven companies that they bought to launch Andy Rubin's project. It's like Andy Rubin, Android guy. I want to build Androids. Phones are no longer interesting. Google wanted to keep them, and then clearly they want to go big on robots. And what do robots? You can't go much bigger than Boston Dynamics, right? But what do, what do robots? What can robots do that would benefit Google's master plan? Okay, Google wants data, so a lot of speculation is that they're going to use these robots to do street view and data collection in places that vehicles and humans can't reach. So mountain climbing. Some people have speculated that these robots may be used for delivery and be an alter- alternative to, um, for example, aerial drone delivery. Um, I mean, broad picture, if they just buy the best robot companies they can get and they have the most advanced robotics you know, development on the planet, they are going to get the, the business that... You know, with everybody else who wants, but they're to, not in the business of making robots. They, or they're not in the business of government contracts. Making, but they're not, and they've said they're not in the business of government contracts. And it doesn't really make sense for Google yeah, they to be said in the business that. of government contracts. I, I, and I research. think this is like Google thinks in terms of moonshots, right? Their ten x philosophies of mm-hmm. how can we do something that is beyond expectations. And I, but, but with a, with a with a goal. Yeah, there's, um, there's got to be a purpose. No, absolutely. I think that they're. I could be wrong, but I imagine that they might be trying to do AI. They might be trying to make androids. Well, they are doing AI. They've said that the Star Trek computer is their I mean ultimate the, I goal. Mean, I mean, the movie. Oh, okay. Right? Androids. You know, yeah. But humanoid robots, and that's not what Boston Dynamics wants to do well, no, or thinks the, it's a smart thing to do. Like a spider robot can be infinitely more maneuverable and, and durable and and versatile than a humanoid robot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, that's the military stuff and the, the, the rock climbing and all that seems like it could be handled by uh, drones, you know. It seems like a lot of the... the Aerial drones. Yeah, mean? the street view, the satellite stuff seems like it should be handled in the air, but I don't know. It seems like, uh, you know, if they're trying to do self-driving cars, why not make autonomous robots? Autonomous, I think tying it to autonomous cars is probably the best bet. And there was also the speculation that they would be using it to increase, uh, improve robotics manufacturing. Because right now, um, even though robots are used, industrial robots are used for assembly of vehicles and, and electronics, a lot of the fine work uh, is done by hand. And that's very expensive. So if they can automate that and get rid of more jobs, then you know maybe maybe that's one direction they're going to go in. But I think the autonomous car and the new like think about the new normal. Like 10, 15 years from now, we'll, we'll get autonomous cars on the road. 
And that we can all see the benefits easily of autonomous cars in terms of easing traffic, uh, optimizing traffic for to get rid of congestion, and also car sharing. So a car picks you up, drops you off, and and then go picks pick someone up. It's automated Uber basically, and there's no there's no cars are always in optimal circulation. It's like you know first in first out. It's you're not going to get tons of cars parked on the freeway or the streets. Um, and then if you can think one step further and how that would apply to robots. We're all riding robot horses, and I don't know. I think if you just, elderly people are being, being carried by their robots, just think of think of Google.com, the search engine, and how that is the de facto search engine that you go to when you want to find something. If in twenty years, because of the things they've developed and the companies they've bought, if the first thing you think of when you think of I want to buy a robot or have robots for these purposes, if Google but is Google's not a hardware company. They're they not sell right hardware. Now. They sell hardware to promote their software and their ad platforms because they make money from ads. But if they have the technology that people want for robots that are used for saving people, you know, in earthquake situations or self-driving cars or whatever, even if it's just them like licensing technology and not building those robots, that still makes them super powerful and super rich. I guess it's it's also what uh it ties into what Jeff Bezos said when he talked about Amazon drones and you know the gut response with and I don't know if we even talked about Amazon drones in the podcast did we it was such a Black Friday just stunt um uh, yes a big marketing stunt to get people on Amazon.com one of the most valuable pages on the on the internet and I'm sure it um, worked really really well oh yeah uh but it ma- totally made sense when he said. He, they want to explore the idea of drone delivery because they don't want someone to do it better than them and make them obsolete because every company, every platform will eventually go by the wayside. Someone's smarter, someone more nimble. You know, the hurdles that companies overcome now with their technologies won't be hurdles anymore and some other company will ch- take on new challenges. And so maybe Google's thinking that way. I think we're, we're all still waiting for the autonomous car. Um, They've got a lot of money to to waste on you know really amazing ideas that yeah. might not go anywhere. It, it, I'm glad they're spending the money on on interesting ideas, uh, as long as they aren't evil. I mm, guess yeah, it doesn't need to be said. Uh, have you guys checked out Google location history? <clears throat> I did a little bit when you tweeted it last night. Apparently, it's not that new. It's it's been around. It's resurfaced. I think TechCrunch did a story about it yesterday, but it's been around for a long time. It was tied to Google Latitude. Um, but when they kind of brushed latitude aside, because they were, and this is interesting, Google over the past three years or so has been consolidating a lot of its ser- uh, products um, and services. So things that just didn't pan out have been have been shuffled away, or things that people loved, like Google or reader that, that didn't fall into their big plans uh, for money making. Uh, but Google location history. If you go to like maps.google.com forward slash location history and you use something like an Android phone and have location tracking turned on, you will be able to see minute by minute almost where your phone has been and where you have been uh, by extension. And so you can say, and it's 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 kind of creepy because having switched to Android this year, uh, and, and I can follow this. It's weird because I have like multiple, I'm juggling multiple Android phones and they all have GPS turned on. Is this data in the cloud already or is it extracting data from your phone when you go there? No, it's, in, it's, it's not extracting from the phone. It's wow. data that Google already has and tied to your Google account. So everyone sees it a little differently. But if you don't disable your services, you can go back and retrace your steps f- for months, 
minute by minute at a time. I can say that, you know, last Friday, I can look at the map and I'll show it shows a line from San Francisco to LA from where I was in LA. And it's both scary, but also really useful because I totally find myself not remembering what I did two weeks ago or a month ago. And I have to often, I rely on Google Calendar as my, my, my diary almost. Like I look at Google Calendar and look at, okay, where was I on that Thursday in October? I have no idea. And in Google Calendar, oh, okay, there was that event that day, so I went to that thing. And with location history, you can track and see not only where you were on that day, but like where your traffic, your, you know, what, what exact location within the city you are. And it doesn't necessarily just go for Android either. Like I have the Google Now app on mm, iOS. Right. And even though I feel like I, I might have had location services disabled for a while, but because it was, it says in the app, this definitely will not impact your battery life. And it actually did. Um, but I think I turned it back on with, with iOS 7 um, and it tracks my, my location too. Just in the like, background? Yes. Wow. So like I'm looking at last week and see where I went around the city. So this is kind of like find my iPhone, but it's find my iPhone through with a timeline. Yeah, find find where my iPhone has been or where my Android phone has been. You can there's also a real clear button to delete all history, which is nice. And if you trust Google to actually have that history deleted, because I'm sure there's no undo. I'm hesitant. I don't want to delete it. As like as as creeped out and weirded out as I am that this history is there, it's a little novel. Give in to the Google. And I know that if I, I think that if I get rid of it, it's not going to be there. And I kind of want, it's, it's like my memory. I'd keep it. It's there. I don't have anything, but I don't use those apps, but I like the idea. If you're not worried about someone hunting you down and murdering you, you know, it's probably not too dangerous. Yep. Just be, just, yeah. So because I have multiple devices, it doesn't actually show one linear path. It shows this like star pattern because it's always thinking that I'm both, you know, outside the city and back at home at the same time because I have multiple phones pinging the location server at the same time. So it doesn't really work for me. It'd be fun if you could create an animation throughout time so you could hit play and watch a day go by in the course of like a minute. And also then tie it to Google Street View. Oh. <laughs> so it's like you're like reliving like, it's like, dry, you know, you're like reliving that car. It's like that uh, Google had that um, that viral video they tried to promote where someone had a road trip, virtual road trip of yeah. across America and set up Google Street View and on projectors in their living room. Um, I, I was at a, a screening, um, this movie screening earlier this week um, called Lost Landscapes of San Francisco. It's a, a guy, Rick Prelinger, uh, who runs the Prelinger archives. He was showing old footage of San Francisco. From the 1920s? All, all through the 19, uh, 20th century, as early as 1920s and up to like the 60s and 70s. Um, and some of the coolest footage was there's some traffic footage, uh, stock footage from movies. So, you know, um, outtakes, uh, movie studios would come into San Francisco and shoot cars driving, uh, shoot out of the back of a car. And this would be for the rear projection um, for when you have conversations in cars and they would show, but they, it was just the raw footage of those scenes, um, without, you know, the silhouettes of the people. So you don't have Jimmy Stewart sitting you in the car nope, nope. And it's with just, a big steering wheel. But it's just, and it would be minutes of this footage and it was fascinating. It was like Google street view for the 1940s mm. in San Francisco. A lot lower traffic then probably. A lot more people in the streets. People just, just, just walking just across walking. the street. Yeah. Yeah. When when were jaywalking laws enacted? I don't know. I'm sure Ralph Nader had something to do with that. That was more probably the seat, the seat belts. Uh, did you guys see that Apple ad that came out this week? Home run. 
<laughs> I had a feeling you'd say that. You had to take the spot of our, our resident di- Apple enthusiast. Do you disagree? I think it's a compelling ad. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, um, Apple released a new holiday ad for the iPhone 5S, and it's called Misunderstood, and it tells a story, and it really is a story, of a, a family vacation to visit you know, the grandparents or something um, somewhere you know, east coast in the snow, and there's this kid who looks a little a little emo, he's staring at his phone all day, yeah. and not paying attention to anyone, and at the end, it What's turns out... What's he doing? Out, is he texting his girlfriend? Yeah, is, is he, he just playing games? He's not being, he's not being very social. Right, you see on Twitter. Yeah, uh, and the phone's just illuminating his face, and then at the end, it turns out he's editing, he's shooting video and editing... The whole commercial, he had been shooting video. Right, was the idea, yeah. and, and plays it over airplay, of course, for the family, and then the dad cries, the mom cried to get a big hug, and it turns out he's just misunderstood. That's right. And the power of the iPhone really brought that brought that family together with its video and editing capabilities. And and that, that footage he shot that they showed at the end was actually shot with iPhone five S. You so, can tell because he uses a lot of slow mo. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> yeah, you know he gets the sock the, being thrown at him. Um, apparently, someone in the Apple advertising or someone in the know reached out to to bloggers or told someone else who was in the know, and and it was the word was that it was actually shot with the five S. Um, but who shot it? Not that kid. What? Because there's a little bit of... Don't ruin this. I'm going to ruin you it for you, Jeremy. You are the I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> just keeping it real. All right. Um, in the shots where you... And obviously, it's a commercial, so all staged. These people are probably not related. Uh, the kid's shooting, and when you see him shooting the footage, he's shooting in portrait mode. <laughs> but the footage, when they showed at the end, is all in landscape mode. Ah. So there's a little bit of continuity error there, which I can it's 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 a, it's a minor continuity. Uh, I, I think if he was holding the phone in landscape, or you know, it would have given away the surprise that Perhaps. he was shooting a video. Or, yeah. But I don't think I don't know anyone who edits video in portrait mode either on on the iPhone. Well, you no, you never saw him edit. You only saw him shooting oh, because they had to okay. refer to all those scenes. Right. He's but, got a two thousand dollar MacBook right. somewhere. I, I want I wanted him to actually edit. On the phone, because you can do that. With I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. You okay. just didn't All see right. it. In, in the fiction of that commercial. Um, and then there's a lot of the other backlash point that people said was that, okay, it totally falls into this trap of him missing the moment because his, his, he's still missing those moments. And while he's preserving them on his phone in some way for the family, he's sacrificing that. It comes at the expense of him enjoying the moment. Hey, there's there's no fight. dad with a camera that can't relate to that. That's true. Right there, we're That's all true. we're all in that position. You no, know, when when your kids do a school play, are you going to record it with, right. with your Nokia forty one megapixel camera? And sacrifice and my have enjoyment. To sit in the back and sacrifice. When was the last time you recorded something that wasn't your kids and actually came, went and watched it back? That was not my kids. Not, that wasn't your kids. Oh, I, sh- I, you know, not very often. Yeah, maybe at the end of the year we do. It a just little takes review. up a lot of space on your phone, <laughs> is what it does. Yeah. No, the good of the many outweigh the good of the few. You got to sacrifice your enjoyment sometimes. I think a balance, a balance for all things. Take take photos. I think it's fine. I don't think video clips are necessary if you're going to a concert. Yeah. No. At all, but one or two photos, you know, keep in your scrapbook. You know, keep your ticket stubs, stuff like that. Let Google know where you are, so you can go back and see where you are at that day. You find things to activate your memory but have the, have the memory to activate in the first place. It'll be an interesting change for from now versus like even when, you know, my parents would shoot, you know, home video or whatever in the, the late 80s, like early 90s and 
how relatively little video they have and how much it costs to get one of those cameras versus, you know, in 40 years when video is like so easy to take. I mean, it's already so easy to take. What is it going to be like to show our kids those home videos? Are they going to give a shit because there's 50 hours of it? That is a fascinating... Or is that going to be great to like have that relic yeah. uh, and have that much of your life like preserved that you would have totally not remembered because you were two or six or you know? Well, I think the answer is that algorithms are going to edit those videos for us, and so you don't have to actually spend time piecing them together. And you you have the more data and footage you have, and the, the more stuff is shared, those the the slideshow family slideshow of the future is going to be interactive. It's going to be like you know. Hate to say Minority Report, but like diving into those memories, like when he goes back into those scenes and plays back like the three D projected video clips, it's gonna be maybe like that. It actually goes back to that that footage I was talking about, this, uh, the Lost Landscape stuff, because a lot of that stuff was home movies, and Rick Preglinger's fascination or his area of interest is on home movies and collecting old sixteen millimeter, eight millimeter film from families who were right, were affluent, could afford it, and back when Kodak was. Um, processing that film they will release books there are lots of books in the Prelinger library about teaching families how to shoot home movies and like you can shoot home movies it's really simple and here's some cinematic techniques you know that you could use to make your home movies look nice and books that you would buy when you got your f- film processed to make you a better filmmaker um and people really like it's looking at that footage it's it's fascinating you see so much more than you would in a photo um just like nuance and faces even like the outtakes you know, having the same scene, people, dads getting kids to do things over and over again. Uh, there's a great story of like when, um, when the moon landing happened and people were on family vacation and, you know, they would have their cameras. Back then you couldn't record the TV. So you, so you recorded the they TV. They recorded the TV screen, the home. So you would have this like family at the motel in the swimming pool and enjoying their vacation, but the moon landing was happening that night. So right after the, the footage of the swimming pool, it would be the footage of the TV capturing that moon landing. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah just, just to point out the, the inverse uh, result that, that we've seen in photographs of video, because as video has gone on the rise, obviously photos have gone down. So in our generation, we have a lot of you know, photos from our childhood, but our kids only have digitals. And, you know, the digital shots. Oh, you mean, you mean um, physical yeah, yeah, photos. Photo- photographs. photographs. So when you yeah. look at photographs, a lot of the kids today, they don't have the quality shots that we did when we were kids. Well, think about old photos today. It's nice to have the photo, but it's even better to have the negative. Yeah. And right now we have digital negatives. You have your DNG files. Yep. So as long as you keep those DNG files backed up, then that's going to be the, you know, what in the future people can combine them and alter them and, and bring, bring them back up and restore them. Um, Speaking of photography and video, uh, do you know that your laptop? We're all we all have MacBooks here, right? Yep, we do. Yep the the webcam on your laptop, theoretically, you should know when it's on. Yes. And Ars Technica had this story uh, earlier this year about the creepy pervs and the communities who who hack into uh, hack into you know innocent people's laptops and spy on them. And uh, one of the ways that they can try to get away with it is on certain laptops, they can disable the light uh, or people just don't notice the light um, and record things without people knowing. Um, 
But on, on MacBooks, that's not supposed to happen because it's supposed to be hardwired to uh, the light is hardwired to the, the camera. Uh, but this might not be the case, at least on 2008 and older MacBooks, as a recent study has discovered. And Wes, you wrote a story about this today. Yeah, so some guys from John Hopkins University uh, kind of did a, a breakdown of how the the old eyesight cameras worked on on MacBook Pros, and they, I don't think they tested. Newer ones, it was old MacBook Pros, old iMacs, like everything that had the iSight camera. I'm not sure how the technology of the newer uh, webcams relates. I assume it's different because they didn't do this study with those, but there might be a similar way to get around the the light. But basically it, it is hot, hardwired in that when the there's a, a connection in the circuitry between the image processor chip and the, the little LED, and when the chip is on standby mode, the light is basically told, like the connection is active and it's like, or the connection is inactive and it says no power and it's just off. And, and this then is on the board, that's on the board, connecting both the LED and the camera. And then and when, the yeah, and then when the image processor is active, power is going to the LED, it's active, the light's on, the webcam's on. And they figured out a way basically to go into the firmware and Apple has had an option in the firmware that said, do you want to ignore the standby mode or pay attention to the standby mode? By default, it is pay attention to it. But they wrote some software to basically ignore the standby mode and then ensure that the power going to it is always active. So the light basically is stays off while the camera is on and you can just T- turn on somebody's webcam, you know, record whatever. All you you don't even need like root level access to run this software on a computer, and then you can use the webcam without the light coming on. So it's because of that software layer that even though the thing the light is hardwired to this chip, they can basically just say ignore it. Can we presume that fine. the reason why this isn't possible on newer iMacs is because Apple acknowledged it's a known vulnerability? So they they messaged Apple about this like six months ago, I think, or it said August um, was when they like finished their study. They told them about it. Apple talked to them a little bit and they wrote a a kernel like fix for it basically called eyesight defender, which you can download on GitHub is free. Uh, but they did not, Apple has not like built it into, they didn't do anything about it basically, but it could, could very well be that 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 same vulnerability does not exist with the newer cameras. Right. But that doesn't mean there isn't another vulnerability. There's always software, firmware at least, that controls the hardware, no matter how, how things are tied together, unless it's an analog system. And it's not like th- these are the only webcams that have issues. I mean, a, a lot of webcams straight up have an option to not use that LED or they don't have an yeah. LED like that. Yeah, they call it Logitech webcam specifically. Yeah where it's just in the the local software, desktop software, that flips on the camera, or the camera light when the the webcam is on. You most certainly could hard-code it. I mean, it could be a part of the same circuit that powers the camera with unbreakable, you know, right? Mm. I I assume so, yeah. I assume so. I mean, like, this was an oversight in Apple's design of the firmware that allows them to go in and hack it, so. Um, I think the easy solution is to put a sticker iFix actually sells this uh, EFF-supported uh, sticker. It's a $5 sticker, I think, but it fits over it, your webcam. It's like a little decal, and you can peel it off when, when, when you want to use the, uh, the camera. I, I, don't know when, I don't remember the last time I used my laptop's camera. Um, Skype occasionally, 
but I think more often than not, it's not on. So why not a cool stick? You know what? We can't cut this out of the podcast, but that's a cool tested store idea. A little testicles sticker to put on your webcam. What do you guys think about that? Huh? Always thinking. Would it be leaving sticky gunk on your? No, your no, 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 camera? no. Get get a get a good nice decal one that won't leave the gunk, um, and then remove it. But the one that iFix itself is great, and it, it supports the EFF, which we also want to support. Um, Oculus. Wow, we're not even through the news yet. <laughs> uh, Oculus got seventy five million dollars in funding. It's a lot of money. That's their second round. I think it's their second round. That's insane. Yeah. That's so much. Well, so they got some initial funding, and then they did their Kickstarter mm-hmm. after that, right? Yep. And now they've it's, got... No, no, no. The, or kick, the, the Kickstarter was, around? Kickstarter was way early. That was just... Initially, Palmer Lucky was going to make a, f- a hundred for huh. people on the made-to-be-seen in 3D forums, and he did the, the Kickstarter to fund that. And when it took off, it just took on a whole new life. Wow. So they did the Kickstarter first, and then they did get some some funding since then, but it was relatively, it was like a million bucks or a couple million bucks or something like that. The hype machine is in, is is spinning on all cylinders right now. Have you seen those tweets from like, from people who've supposedly seen the new version that they're going to show at CES? No, wait a minute. There's a new version since the HD ones we've seen? I think so. What? And Mark Rain and Cliffy B and... Developers what are they saying? Have, have saying like this gonna change the world. <laughs> I'm sold That's Bill on Nye. board. Um, really? Yeah, like a bunch of Epic slash former Epic people were yeah. were at Oculus like last week or a couple yep. weeks ago. Yeah, Cliffy's been a believer since day one. Sure. But they're saying that it's not just the resolution thing. They're, they've solved like the headache problem and the latency problem. Really? They, they must have solved some of the translation problems. Yeah, I think they've added. I, th- I think I'm not sure, but I think they've added translation. Because I know they're working on that. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. The dev kit was such a big hit that it seems like a total no-brainer to me that instead of doing their, like, yeah, we're going to release the consumer version, you know, six months or a year later, they were like, all right, let's... Let's hold off and find... Yeah, hold off. Make sure it's a home run. Make this thing really kick ass, because it's been over a year now since the dev kits came out. Wasn't it late 2012, or was it early 2013? March of 2013. I was at WonderCon when I got the text from Jeremy that you got your dev kit, and I immediately said, bring it in, we gotta do a video. And I think the consumer version was initially supposed to come out like by the end of the year, or within a year, and I'm I'm guessing it'll probably be like late, later next year, at least middle of next year by the time My feeling is that CS is gonna be pretty pretty big for them. An unveiling of it, I'm sure. It'll probably have a lot to do with when the developers are ready, because now that they all have dev kits and they're working on legit projects, they're not going to release the hardware until there's a killer app. Mm-hmm. And there are d- definitely some in the works. So, I mean, the Wing Commander's inspired one by the, uh, <clears throat> I forget the name of that. Eve. MMO. Yeah, Eve Online, guys. That looks amazing. Uh, there's so many in the works. But there isn't one yet. There's nothing that's God, a killer app. Our dev kit is old and busted. It's <laughs> no, junk. It's still, it's still <laughs> the best you can buy today. There have also been rumors that Sony is going to unveil like a competing device or something. There's been a lot of stuff with the PS4, them kind of like dancing around the issue of like, yeah, we're going to support you know, like 3D in some way, but mm-hmm. not saying they're going to support Oculus specifically. So if Sony's making a competitor, a competitor HMD, that'll be crazy. If and Valve, along with if Valve, they're yeah. actually supporting Oculus though, like if there is a major console with native Oculus support encouraging developers to build that into their games, 
then, that would be justify a seven seventy five million dollar investment. Yeah, then it is going to sell big money. Yeah, and I, I I'm pretty sure I said this before, but when we met with Oculus at CES this past year, the person who was there in the room before us doing a demo was a Sony executive. Yeah, if there was, I mean, even a partnership with Valve, like a real solid one, and they are very friendly. So, which is weird because John Carmack is now on the on the board. Yeah. And is working with on Oculus full time now. And every but and technically everything that Valve has released that has Oculus support and doesn't mention Oculus Rift, it mentions like VR mode. Yeah. So it's more generic. You think they might be working on their own hardware, but hopefully it's gonna be a standard that they will create on their own, maybe involve involving a console manufacturer like Sony. Because we need these guys to come together in order to create one universal standard so that this can take off. Yeah, competing standards and f- a fracturing of the VR community would is, it's it, too we, small we, for that. Too small. I mean, we want competition in the long run once the technology is right, um, but it's it's also proprietary now. Um, we talked about moonshots earlier, and there was a literal moonshot <laughs> last week. I, I'm wow, sorry. I apologize. Nice. No, it's good. Um, China landed on the moon. The, I'm I'm shocked by how undercovered this was in the American media. Well, if it had been a person. I'm, no, I think it's... I'm sure it would have gotten more coverage if it had been a Chinese astronaut on the moon, but it was still pretty un- undercovered. It was way undercovered. It, it, I think Black Friday was more covered. Amazon drones was more covered than than China, than the first man-made drone robot landing on the moon since 1976, Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah, you're right. Um, what can you tell me about the robot itself and how it landed? Nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. You, you would think at least there would have been some fear-mongering about it, right? Like someone talking about, like, oh, China's got I a space program now. I think that's the stupidest now. thing that any cable news person could do, fear-mongering about space exploration. <laughs> but if they didn't, we're not if the they didn't do anymore. anything at all, yeah, like they, that they, implies caring even less than, but, yep. than it, acting like... Yeah, than, I want to be in that newsroom episode where they're deciding... Oh, fuck do, off. <laughs> do, we, do we cover... The China Moonlander, or do we cover what was the big news story? Beyonce's album, secret album release, <laughs> <laughs> or do we cover Bigfoot? Or yeah, um, Return of the Moon is important, and I don't think I think a lot of people have their eyes uh, set on Mars and pushing the frontier. Uh, I know Neil deGrasse Tyson has, t- has talked about that, but uh, Chris Hadfield uh, in his talk at NASA. Um, couple months ago now reiterated how important we it is the moon is so convenient um the fact that we have that that the china mission seems uneventful to us is both politics but also speaks to the fact that we you know it it is over 50 years since we landed over 50 years almost 50 years almost almost 50 years since we landed on the moon you know humans land on the moon and while it's not routine, it is a technology and a process that it just takes money. It's not something that's as risky as it once was. And uh, destinations like the International Space Station, projects like the International Space Station as an experiment, and landing on the moon, that is a necessary step to get us to Mars. Uh, we can do a Mars shot, and it would take incredible resources. And yes, it would push the boundaries of our space ex- exploration abilities, but we're nowhere near ready to do that until we figure out, you know, effects of long-term space 
living, uh, fully recyclable systems um, for air, water, and, and waste. Uh, and the moon is the, the most convenient place to to learn all those things. And potentially as a staging ground for longer, because <laughs> yeah. it's so much easier to launch from the moon than from the, the Earth's surface. Yep. My hope is that this spurs a little bit of good old-fashioned USA, USA, uh, you know, bullish, let's get back into space attitude. Because, I mean, you know, you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson. He and other people like Bill Nye have been saying for a long time that NASA's in t way too much danger of being defunded, not having enough money to follow through with the projects they want to do. And, uh, you know, if we get the, the public behind wanting to compete to get back on the moon or get into space with other countries, we start seeing p other countries doing things that we're not doing then we're going to probably see more funding in that direction. And that was the whole, that was why we got there in the first place. Russia was the first one in space. They were the first right. one to do everything except land a man on the moon. Yeah. We need, we need a new space race. And, and so the, the NASA, uh, what's that, the, the journal that they publish all the, all the benefits um, of, uh, of, of NASA research in, in everyday life. Um, that, that needs reinvigorating. Yes. Yeah. Although the, the flip side of that is that uh, this Chinese drone or probe uh, is using like some of NASA's technology. Um, and so the information that it gathers will, I believe, be kind of given to the international science community, supposedly. I don't know if... Uh, That's what, part of the license? I think it's... I don't, I don't know if it's part of the license or just kind of a general like scientists agreement yeah. that, yeah. You know, so that's cool. So I don't know what this, this probe will gain, you know, what knowledge it will take from the surface of the moon that we don't have already, but it can't, it won't be useless. You know, it's just more data. It just sucks that Americans don't care. Hey, we care. I'm, I'm sorry to generalize. I'm, I'm, it's, it sucks that as, as as a country, it seems like that a lot of people don't care. And what they rather care about is just buying stuff. It's for hard the to holidays. compete with the seven minutes of terror, right? That's true. NASA ha has great PR. They they those guys at JPL and those guys at um at Ames produce some nice videos. The seven minutes of terror. <laughs> you know, I saw that at the JPL. Really? Yeah, they had a, they do one open house a, a year, uh -huh. and they, they they debuted a longer version of that where that was the middle chunk. Wow! At in the movie theater there, and I w I couldn't believe it. Edge of your seat. I was totally on the edge of my seat. I went back because my wife didn't see it. My my son and I saw it. I went back and I was like gushing, told, trying to tell my wife what an amazing thing we're about to do, and she was just like, "Where are the corn dogs?" <laughs> 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 she, I couldn't communicate my enthusiasm. Why aren't we at Disneyland? Tomorrowland. Well, uh, this last bit of thing is something I found online. Uh, ridiculous things. What, what's the most ridiculous thing you've bought for in the holidays this year? For the holidays? For, yeah. For your friends or it's okay. You can admit it. You bought maybe one, two or 10 things for yourself. Oh man, that's gotta be something. I don't know. Was it a money vault? No. Why? You got something? No, but you can buy a money vault. <laughs> There's an auction site. What's a money vault? It's the, a Scrooge McDuck Swiss franc money vault. What are you talking about? It is a vault that has safety deposit boxes uh -huh. on all four walls, um, and it is filled with several million Swiss francs that you can wade in. Is this thing like 20, like how big is it? Is it a couple it's, it's stories? Like, uh, I think it looked like 10 feet, 12 feet tall. 12 feet by 12 feet. 
What are you saying? I'm guessing. I can, that's a little I can small, but... buy access to this for five minutes? No, you can just buy it. <laughs> They're selling it. The whole vault plus the coins, up for auction. All right. Uh, there was a great link that um, uh, Kaki, uh, Jason Kaki put out um, about ridiculous millionaire auctions or things that you can buy on eBay right now. One of them was a, a full-size replica of uh, a spacesuit, a NASA spacesuit. Um, the, the How EMU, much did that cost? $9,000. It's only a replica. It's not that fan, much. Fan-made replica. Um, not fan, but like it, it's one of the official replicas that they have like in Washington, D.C. in the museums. So it's not one that actually went into space, but uses the right like sewing patterns and t- type of fabric. Um, it's got to be cheaper than the Money Vault. Oh, yeah. yeah that's definitely cheaper than the Money Vault. Uh, you can buy a, a Braun um, turntable. It looks gorgeous. I tweeted this last night. 1500 bucks, near mint condition. Still works. Timeless design. And some other other ridiculous things. Oh, uh, a, a real uh, jacket that one of the Ash, uh, Russian cosmonauts wore into space. It looked stylish jacket. Great photos too. How how much did the money vault cost? I think it was it was an auction. I think the starting bid was several million dollars. A weird thing. It's a little yeah. on my price range. A little bit. Uh, what's not out of our price range? And oh, we still have a little bit of time. I'm, I'm let viewers and listeners know we're going to take a short break when we get to what we're testing because I have to make a quick phone call. But uh, what's not out of our price range is a next project that uh, we're going to do and test it. This is a little preview for next year. Uh, we're working on a MAME machine. Now, what makes a MAME machine in 2014 any different than a MAME machine in 2004? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's harder in 2014 to get a good monitor. Yes, to get so, a so CRT everything monitor. is more difficult to do now. There are fewer ah. people uh, making MAME a cabinet. So back at Maximum PC, if you guys uh, followed this back then, um, uh, one of our co-online editors, Alex Castle, uh, built a MAME machine, a uh, MAME cabinet, and it looked great. It was awesome. This was like a, one of those coffee table cabinets yeah. uh, with a the, with the flat screen. Jeremy, you were there, it might right? have been the Galaga, the Galaga machine because that's all that was played on it. Well, no, there was also uh, Crazy, the climb, Climber. Crazy Climber. Yeah. Crazy Climber was the best. So four four sets of controls. So for Crazy Climber, you could get your, your dual joysticks. Um, Galaga was great. Play, uh, Donkey Kong was great on that. Um, but the idea was that uh, it was basically a PC in this cabinet. The cabinet you could buy the parts for from this New Jersey company. Buy a kit. Buy a kit, basically. Wood, wooden wood kit, kit, everything pre-cut. Everything pre-cut, pre-finished, nice, big board on top. Uh, the monitor, you could find relatively easy, and I think this was in 2009 or so that we got that we built this. Uh, CRT monitor, which looked great, and then all the switches and everything you needed online. Um, we're going to try to do that again, but much more difficult. So Wes is leading the way for this project, and what you found is that so one, we, you can't been, buy a cabinet. Yeah, we've been planning for... Well, you can buy a cabinet. We've been planning this for like two or three months now. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that you bought, you bought a cabinet, the cabinet kit from, uh, probably the best out there and uh, had a reputation for being willing to like help you customize, you know, how you wanted your control layout, stuff like that. They got wiped out by Hurricane Sandy. And since then, their site has, for like the past year, has just had a notification that says like, our warehouse got destroyed by Hurricane Sandy. We're going to try to get back up and running at some point. That hasn't happened yet. Um, There are a few other companies out there that do these similar kits, but not something that you could tailor to your own, you know, your own specifications. Um, Fairly expensive and also like 
a lot of them use like MDF kind of mm-hmm. crappy wood. Uh, and so particle board, particle board, right? So we kind of wanted one. We wanted to change the dimensions a little bit to make mm-hmm. sure we'd have enough room to have two players sitting around this cocktail cabinet on the horizontal on the side, side, and then have two on each end for you know the vertical side. Whether you're doing four player games or you're just sitting on one of those ends to play a vertical game like Pac Man and mm-hmm. you know, Donkey Kong. Um, so we wanted to customize it a little bit, and the only way to do that really was to build it ourselves. Yeah, to build a cabinet. So that's what we're going to so do. So that's what we're going to do. Went to Home Depot, bought all the, the hardware and bought giant sheets of plywood, three quarters inch plywood. Um, so we got a ton of plywood. A ton we, of plywood. We did all the measurements for, we started out with the base uh, Pac-Man mm-hmm. design, yes. cocktail design from the 70s. Miss Pac-Man. Well, there's Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man um, and a couple guys who are just, I guess, super dedicated about 10 years ago, I want to say, took those cocktail cabinets, measured everything, and wrote out extremely detailed plans of how to build one yourself. Uh, and so they have the listings of here are the kinds of um, uh, joints you'll want to use. Here's how you'll put the wood together. Here are the hinges you're going to need that will support your monitor being built into the top of this thing here, you know, by glue, by, you know, you want to stain your wood, you're going to want to get this molding to go around the edge. So we went, went by their specifications, but then we modified a lot of the dimensions of the, the cabinet and actually went into SketchUp and kind of built the original version and then kind of measured things out. And we said, okay, we want to add four inches to this side. We're going to make it a little wider. We're going to make the control panels a little bit deeper so that we can do like a, a Japanese style layout where the button rows are curved mm-hmm. instead of just flat. And then did a bunch of research into the types of joysticks and buttons we want to put into it. It's and, not cheap. You got yeah. like joystick ball heads and the buttons from different manufacturers. Uh, you get concave, convex buttons. I mean, people who've been to California Extreme know all about this stuff. Um, and it's, it's been real fun. Um, and then we built a cardboard model, and this will all be untested in, in the coming months. You've already done a cardboard model? Oh, yeah. We did. We, oh, a cool. life-size cardboard model to help figure out exactly how much surface area of wood we need. Um and got the got the wood, and then hopefully we'll be able to make it to Adam's shop and do some cutting, um, and then fi- sanding and finishing at the house. Uh, the biggest problem, though, so far right now, is the monitor. Getting a good monitor. Getting getting a monitor. Period. Period. Because without the, paying a shitload of money for it, they've stopped making these monitors. Yeah. So right around when you guys built your cabinet in two thousand eight or two thousand nine is when basically the few companies that were still making CRT arcade monitors stopped making CRT arcade monitors in the late 2000s. And basically everyone in the arcade community said, you can look at these threads, you know, in forums from a few years ago, they're like, they're, they're stopping production. You know, we have so many in the warehouse when they're gone, they're gone. That's, oh, that's it. And so people bought bought up the whole supply and yeah hoarding stockpiling because these monitors don't last forever they do die so most of these people have you know collected several monitors and they're just keeping them and the only people selling them are usually very localized and you know they're saying okay well you can come i have 200 you know junker arcade units in my warehouse you can come buy a monitor it's still possible to get one cheap sometimes even a really good condition one but being able to get them online and ship to you is a lot harder Mm -hmm. you're going to pay a lot of money in most cases um there just aren't that many out there right and And it's not just like a vga crt there's specific resolutions that we want yeah 
Um, and we're doing both a we're going to go for a CRT because we want to be as authentic and, and great as possible, uh, but also have an LCD alternative and show the differences for the story. You know, I was going to say that there are excellent LCD emulators. Um, I'm sorry, CRT emulators for LCD. And Wes has written about them. Yeah. So I did, I did, I was more focused on console stuff, like how the, the really good Super Nintendo emulator has shaders and stuff, but I did a little bit with MAME too. Yeah. And so the, we'll probably end up doing this, the LCD monitor first when we're showing mm-hmm. stuff off. Uh, and I'm, I am definitely eager to try out the, the shaders. I just, forgot the name of the kind of the most popular ones off the top of my head um but that but those things do look pretty good at least in screenshots and it'll be it'll be interesting to compare how the fake scan lines and you know like crt filters for changing how the colors rgb filters and stuff like that seeing how those compare on the lcd screen and then seeing if we can spot a difference between the 60 hertz refresh rate and you know, a, a CRT refresh rate. And see if it's worth the weight difference. Right. That cabinet's going to be heavy with a CRT. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and structural, you will need no more stability because yep. it'll be on that big hinge. I mean, that was always the, the most worrisome thing about the old cabinet. Every time you popped it open, you were afraid it was going to snap in half because of the weight of that monitor. So that's coming next year. Uh, it's still a work in progress, and just want to give a little tease for that. And we're learning all sorts of stuff, both about woodworking and and assembly and finishing. Yeah, our next thing to learn will be how to not cut any fingers or hands off while putting this thing together. Valuable lesson. Yeah. Will there be a trackball? Yes. There will. Will there be a spinner? No. 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 No Disvatron. And no um uh what's what's the one with the spinning? The one that uh, the real popular one with the spinning. Oh, Arkanoid. No. No. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I thought you meant Arcanoid. I don't. <laughs> no. What do you mean? What, what are the big spinner games? Oh, this is terrible. I don't know. Are you talking about the, the one Giant Bomb guys played no, all the time? No, no, no. There's a spinner game. It's it's tall. You're like moving around the circle and, and things are coming at you. And Tempest? Tempest. 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 Oh, yeah. Tempest. Tempest. That's true, yeah. Tempest is the big spinner game. Yep. If we have some extra space, we'll I vote, see. Yes, I vote add spinner. <laughs> The, uh, nice, the nice thing is, though, if you make this and you decide to mass manufacture it, now you'll be able to outsource production to the moon. <laughs> you like that? Sorry. Very, very I'm sorry. Joke. Now I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we're going to take a real short break. Um, if Joey can help us uh, break here, uh, I can do a quick phone call. And then we back to talk about what we've been testing. For you, it will be hopefully immediately. Uh, we're back immediately, but bear with us for one moment. All right, we are back. Uh, sorry for the brief interlude. I take a phone call. Um, that's news. That's the main cabinet. Now I want to talk about what we've been testing. The last what we've been testing for the year, and it was a lot of stuff. So I've written down all the stuff I've been <laughs> working on. Um, I'm back on an iPhone for a couple weeks. How's it feel, Norm? Good to have you back. <laughs> we all you knew know, it. We good, all knew good it. Good to have we, him we got, back on the podcast. We got or an on the email. iPhone. We, we, we go. Yeah, the iOS users. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it, it, it feels weird. And the reason I'm back on the iPhone is I'm testing uh, this thing called the Automatic. Um, it's a dongle that you plug into your car. It doesn't support Android. does not support Android. Really? 
Yeah. That's surprising. Uh, Will is actually, I think he was using it earlier this year. It's um, just Bluetooth. It Why out. wouldn't it? That's weird. The app. It's because of the app. All right. Um, but I'll be writing about that uh, next week. Um, but I think more interesting than the automatic device, which I think is very interesting and a really cool concept because if you tie it to your phone, uh, you get your GPS location. We talk about how scary Google location history was. Well, this is your driving history, path to path. And what's cool is that it tells you how much you're spending, approximately how much gas you're spending per trip. And yep. I find that much more useful than the warnings about hard braking and the warnings about driving over 70 miles per hour. It's a reality check. It just lets you quantify yeah. the driving experience a little differently. It's like, wow, exactly. huh, I, I go driving on like weekend mornings because I like listening to like certain radio shows in the morning and I don't like, I only have a radio in my car. So I might as well run some errands while I listen to Prairie Home Companion or This, this American Life at, at noon or something, right? And it's like, well, that's costing me like $4 in gas every time I do that. Yeah, it's a little interesting. Yeah. But the more interesting is my experience going back to the iPhone. And I have to be honest, when I switched to Android this year, I did it in the back of my head with the idea that maybe if I didn't like Android in one year, I would go back to iPhone next year. I could always go back. It would be good, easy to fall back to iOS and iPhone because I was going to skip on the 5S. Didn't want to spend that extra 400 bucks. And maybe the iPhone 6 will be compelling enough that I could go back because I'm comfortable. I was comfortable in iOS. Going back to Not iPhone. Not just comfortable, happy. I was happy. Was, um, I can't do it. I I don't like it. Yeah, I it's, I don't like the screen size. That, I love yeah. the small. So it's more the hardware than the software. It's both. I think that the hardware and software, because they're melded, the hardware dictates the software. The hardware, the size of the screen, the four inch size of this iPhone five, and and the the width of the phone, because the only difference between the. 4S and the 5 was the height. Yep. That dictates how information is displayed and how app designers design, for example, reverse feed news updates like apps like Twitter and Instagram, right? Yep. And how much information you can cram into that width. And just having different aspect ratio screen and more pixels and just having the notification being much, much more useful. Yep. Everything just feels so... like. Every task I do on the iPhone feels isolated. It feels compartmentalized. So, but if it was a bigger screen, that and these but, and the app developers and the app developers suit. and and iOS was catered catered right. to that. Then, then who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You're, but the, the, you're super widget heavy in your Android use, right? It's widget heavy. It's the like mail in a home screen, like it's being able to see the mail. And but most importantly, because getting so many emails and being a mail junkie, it's being able to do things in the notification control center. Being able to swipe down, um, see the new emails I get or whatever messages, and be able to delete emails from there, or play or you know adjust my music playback from there. Um, It's OK Google, which I use a lot now on Nexus Seven. Just saying OK Google, yeah, with Google Now. It's actually warming up to Google Now being one of my home screens and swiping swiping over to the left. Um, You can't adjust music settings from. I I know you can't. I'm just (laughs) saying. My, you know, my six-year-old son doesn't know how to use the search bar, but he uses the web with OK Google using the Google app on the on the iPad. Wow! Like that's it. That's how he will n- always know the web. He will. He will. He's using the Star Trek computer, and wow. that that's how it works. He because he, he doesn't even know how to spell. Yeah. But he can say, OK Google, how do you make a minecart in Minecraft? And he'll get the YouTube what? video that tells him how to do that. 
Brave New World. Yep. Also owned by Google. <laughs> what? What? YouTube. Minecraft? No, oh, YouTube. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also You're... weird to think about your son being able to play Minecraft but not being able to spell. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Lego, you know, virtual Lego. It's a sandbox. Yeah. But, um, but that's like, spelling is basically just you have memorized this knowledge to be able to do something interactive in Minecraft. Like, to my mind, that is a harder skill. Well, Wes... There's a whole generation of kids out there now, and I say kids, young people who just don't know how to write or write in cursive. I, I can't write in cursive for shit. Yeah. I could when I was 12. And I think this is just an extension of that. People can't write longhand. They can type, and now some people maybe will have less of a need to type and just use verbal communication. I mean, it's, it happens in a different part of the brain. Speaking of sandboxes, uh, I've also been testing this kinetic sand. Have you seen this, Jeremy? I watched your video. It looks a lot of fun. I, I've been wanting to play with it since I, I saw it. Now is your chance. Excellent. Um, I will move my computer <laughs> well away. 98% sand, 2% some weird... Science sand. Science thing. Uh, it's one of those Brookstone things that you see when you go into the mall and then you just stay there playing with it all day long it's, because it's the weirdest thing it's ever. It's the gack of sand. It is the gack of sand. Can you still buy gack? I think you can. Yes. You can make yeah. it. Yeah. It was easy to make. There would be like library, you know, summer school it's projects. It's like cornstarch corn and... Glue. A lot of Elmer's glue. And Gak? I think it, it was glue and... and yeah. And, uh, and cornstarch. So this and is and, sand and, and glue? Sand and some, some chemical. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's non-toxic. It holds it does, its form. Does it dry out eventually? No. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, the idea is that it works dry. When you squeeze it together, what I couldn't see in your video is... Now that I have it in my hands, when I squeeze it together and then separate it, you can see these fibers between yes. the pieces of sand. It blooms. Yeah. It blooms in this really awesome way, and it just falls apart. It's mesmerizing. That's fun. Yeah, definitely fun. Um, I've also been testing the pencil. Got the pencil in. I want one. It's Would you on, like to try it? Yeah, it's on my Christmas list. All right. I love the paper app. That's the really? best, that's the best drawing app. Um, I've, I've given it to, I'm not an artist, I've, I've done light sketching um, with the paper app when I first tested that. Um, but the, the pencil, and I haven't decided whether, I haven't come to any conclusions about it yet, but it feels like it is an imperfect solution to an imperfect problem. Um, to explain. That trying to solve for having a stylus on the iPad is an impossible problem to solve because it's a capacitive screen that's not designed for that. And you're going out of your way, doing all these technical hoops and innovative things to solve for that, you're never going to find what you're looking for, which is the pen and paper, pencil paper experience uh, because of just real phys- technical limitations of the way Bluetooth and the way capacitive screens work. Well, so why does moving the pressure sensitivity into the stylus... Well, there is no, there is no pressure sensitivity oh, on the pencil. Oh, I thought that was the, the point. No, paper has no pressure sensitivity. What paper does... I no longer want one. <laughs> what, what the paper app has always done has... Uh, no, I understand the, the app, but the, right. but the pencil. I thought the pencil had pressure no, sensitivity. No pressure sensitivity. What's it add? What's the deal? There's an eraser. It's palm recognition. Oh, right. Okay. And palm recognition. So because it's Bluetooth based. The nub that's inside the tip of the pencil, which I, I feel like I have some problems, issues with that as well, um, activates. And so it knows that that point is where, where it should detect a mark on the screen, as opposed to you putting your, your palm on the screen. 
Your palm. Like when you're putting your palm on the screen to draw. Oh, okay. That's yeah. how it does the palm detection. Okay. Um, it's it's also a $60 accessory for an iPad, yep. which is fairly expensive. It's a uh, lot of money. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be writing about it on, on the site, of course, but that's something I've been working on. Uh, I also have the Yoga Pro 2, which is Lenovo's new um, flagship consumer laptop. Like the Yoga 1 a lot. Like the Yoga 11S even more. Yoga Pro 2... I feel like this is a perfect example of the a PC manufacturer building a PC for specs and not for user experience. It's a laptop with a 3,800, 3,600, no, 30, I'm sorry, 3,800, 1600 by 900 display, which is a lot of pixels, but Windows 8 can't resolve it, even Windows 8.1. And also, uh, my problems with it so far is that uh, because of this high-resolution screen, battery life is just nowhere near a 13-inch MacBook Air with Haswell, even though this one does have Haswell. Um, and also, the wireless has its 802, uh, 2.4 gigahertz, 802.11 only. No 5 gigahertz, which I think is unacceptable. I had conversations with... Um, our second is Andrew Cunningham yesterday about it, and we both agree that is this laptop's biggest fault. But writing about that in a little bit as well. Um, quadcopters. We posted a, a story on the site earlier this week about getting in quadcopters. I know last time you were here, we talked about the Phantom, the uh, yeah, the DJ One Phantom D One J. Is it? There should be a new one. There is, I think, coming out soon. Any day. Uh, that's a relatively expensive quadcopter. Four hundred sixty dollars. It has been for the past couple of months because they're trying to get rid of the old. Right. One. Uh, when the new one comes out, I'm sure it'll be between $600 and yeah. $800. Uh, but that one, you can put a GoPro on there, comes with a transmitter. It's heavy duty. It's a really stable, big quadcopter. Uh, what we've been messing around with. I'd like to see you put a GoPro on this one. This one cannot fit. The quadcopter I've been testing is a small mini quad. And so uh, the guy uh, we had write our quadcopter guide, um, Terry Dunn, he was actually the, we met him at NASA. He was one of the suit, uh, suit managers at NASA. If you watch our NASA visit video, that's Terry in the video. Talk about the spacesuits, and he's done a couple of things for us uh, on the side, but he's really into RC copters. He's in that community. He's written stuff for like RC magazines. And so his recommendation is don't buy a Phantom to start. Um, buy, don't spend that much money. Buy something that's more manageable. I bought the AR drone. Can I now move to a Phantom? No, AR no. drone. And that's a big part of the story. The Air Drone is a terrible hobby copter to start out with uh, because it doesn't teach you the flight mechanics that you would need mm. uh, with a real transmitter, with a two-stick uh, transmitter. You messed up. Yeah. We had the Air Drone, 300 bucks. Spend the $100. Get the... I've been using the Helimax 1SQ, and I'll show it to you after the podcast. Yes. It's a lot of fun. Helimax makes it sound a lot more badass than it is. Helimax. It's a good name. Helimax. I think it's Helimax, but in California, Northern California, we'll call it the Helimax. But if I want to move straight to cinematography, I need the Phantom. I need that. You know, and the point of the story is you shouldn't move straight into cinematography. Yeah, well. You shouldn't. Don't don't do it anyway. Ugh. Do it. You're you gonna, know you're gonna crash that copter in someone's backyard. That awesome video we saw of the Phantom shooting, yeah. you know, all around the most beautiful sites in the world. It turns out that they also used a gimbal, mm. like, and those gimbals cost as much as the Phantom Jeez. stabilization gimbal. Yeah, they're yeah. actually they're active uh, motors on the gimbal for two axes. And is it is a separate person controlling that? No, it's autonomous. Okay, so it uses an accelerometer, obviously. 
So you you are asking if they can aim it. Yeah. I think they're like the Phantom can do one um, uh, one axis for tilt. for tilt, but the, as far as stabilization, it's all autonomous. But yeah, you're talking about a twelve hundred dollar investment, right? At least plus a GoPro, plus the three hundred dollar GoPro, and extra batteries and all those accessories yeah. and and you know months of practice yep. training. Do the practice first with your Helimax gladly. Absolutely. Uh, and the last thing we've been testing, um, I'm not sure we'll do uh, write about this on the site, is Joey just got in a new uh, new piece of camera equipment. It's the Blackmagic uh, Pocket Cinema Cam, uh, which is, is apparently very popular in the, in the uh, filmmaking community. Um, Adam actually just got two of them for, uh, for Mythbusters shooting uh, to replace their GoPros. So at, when we went to NAB last year, this is the National Association of Broadcasters Convention, where all the new professional cameras are released, uh, Blackmagic, who makes capture cards, um, announced a camera, which everyone was really into. This idea was a relatively affordable 2.5K camera. It's high resolution, and you can adapt. And you put Canon EF lenses on there. I don't think that camera has been well received. A lot of the problems that people had that w- are having are things that we initially thought would be problems in terms of no, not enough manual controls. Um, the pocket cinema camera, which they announced later in the year and is, has been out for a couple months now, is looks more like a like a mirrorless camera design, and it is a mirrorless sensor design because it uses a micro four thirds size sensor, uh, which and micro four thirds adapter, which means you could use the entire history of uh, Olympus and Panasonic lenses, which there are many. Um, and it shoots in ProRes, in RAW, and if you do some color grading afterward, uh, you can get some really, really nice HD low-light footage. And it has SDI outs. And so Joey got one in. We're going to use that as a, we're gonna test it as a studio camera, as a field camera, as a B-roll camera. And, uh, and it's, it's a lot cheaper than, I think it's like $1,000 for the camera, a lot cheaper than you know $10,000 Sony camera. It's a very manly looking camera, like very intensely. That's because he put in a special case. Okay. You're talking about the case. The rig that he has it in is a very intense rig with a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of places to screw in attachments. It's like the grown up erector set of camera rigs. They sell a lot of those, those camera rigs. Have you guys been testing anything? Any new products? 3DS. You got a 3DS? I did. Really? I just read uh, a real. Uh, this is funny. There's an article on the Verge about the Sega 3D Classics. Okay. Uh, this supposed to be really good. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the article is is just about that, but it's a little over the top. You t- start talking about how the Sega 3D Classics are far and away the best uses of 3D on the system, and how one of them is like 3D aside will give you the most visceral graphical experience you've ever seen. What? Yes. Wow. So I, ever? So I it like is it I, Echo the Dolphin? Was that the one? one of them he mentions is Echo the Dolphin? <laughs> the, the one that in particular is um it's like Galaxy something. I'd never played it, but it, I, I did recognize the arcade machine. Um, I'll find it in a second. But anyway, it got me to buy one. I bought one today. A 3ds? No, no, no. I had a 3ds, but it had been collecting dust. You bought one of the classics. So I bought one of the classics. Yeah. I so I got a 3ds and I actually bought games for it before i bought it because i was waiting for a black friday deal and ended up like getting in on amazon's 150 dollar deal a few days before black friday but a couple weeks before that target had been doing like buy to get one free like cheap deals or whatever so i ended up buying a couple 3ds games three 3ds games before i had the system now i have like eight because i kept buying like i would keep seeing them on sale for like 10 or 15 bucks 
I bought Star Fox 64 3D for like $12 because it was on sale. And wow. I'll, I'll play enough Star Fox to get $12 out of it. And I bought a couple other games. Um, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Just started Fire Emblem last night after beating XCOM. And XCOM is great, but I already like Fire Emblem more. You got the big 3DS? I did get an XL, yeah. yeah th- those were is on that sale the one for get? 150 now. That, that was a good deal. Most people say so. It has got a lot better battery life than the smaller one. The The trade-off is the screen, uh, since the screens are bigger, especially the top screen, less pixel density. Mm-hmm. Um, Nintendo games or 3DS games in general are already going to be kind of pixely. So I think that's not a big deal. I found to, though that it had a slightly wider field of view so that you don't... Like with the original 3DS, you have to find that 3D sweet spot. It's real narrow, and I easily fell out of it. But with the big one, I didn't as easily. It's still been pretty narrow for me, but yeah. but I imagine that the smaller one's probably even worse. Uh, the game that, that The Verge mentions is... Galaxy Force 2. You guys remember that in the arcade? No. I never it, played it. It was one of those sit-down, you know, had all kinds of oh. motors in it. Um, it's the kid that uh, that John Connor's friend was playing in Terminator 2. Or John Connor was playing in Terminator 2. Maybe. Was it? No, no. This was, this was uh, later than that, I think. Okay. Anyway, um, it's like uh, Afterburner in space, and you go through uh-huh. stuff. Uh, the, the quote... The, the money quote is, uh, the spiraling columns of fire and complex space environments are some of the most visually intense graphics you'll see all year. Wow. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> all right. I'm skeptical, but <laughs> I, I have heard Sold. that they're, they're 3D. I think they put like a year into those those 3D ports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best thing about this article really cool. is they link to the developer's blog, and there's a lot of information on how they port to 3D. It's oh, really cool. interesting. I love those developer blogs. Uh, Jeremy, I want to backtrack just a second, for which I will. Were you here last time when we did, like, I got to go back one segment? Yep. Yeah, I, I got to go back a segment. Because uh, Wes talked about pixel density, and this is something that I think only you, you're one of the few people who can relate to and maybe, maybe appreciate. Um, love my pixels. You got, uh, you have a mini retina. Correct, yeah, yeah, right. If it's new in Apple, <laughs> I have. Are you getting the new Mac Pro, which is also out today? No, you can't. You can't okay. Right? No, actually, that's the one I decided I wouldn't need. That's, that's the one you decided you wouldn't. The three thousand dollars. Good to decide you don't need the really expensive really, one. Really? Okay. Um, so the Mini with Retina, uh, the the way uh, iOS software works on iPad between the iPad Air and the Mini with Retina is it scales it down. It just because it's the same number of pixels. It's, it's uh, 2048 by 1536 resolution on both those tablets. And iOS doesn't know if it's running an app on the mini retina, the mini or the full size iPad. Okay. So all it does is just render the pixels. And because the pixels are smaller, yeah. it is, it just, everything looks a little smaller and more compact. So sharper with quotes, right? Yep. Um, the mini with retina uses the same pixel density screen as the iPhone 4, 4S, 5, 5S, 326 pixels per inch. Hmm. Um, we know this because when last year's Retina came out, the OG 1024x768 Retina came out, uh, people saw, found you that you it mean used... Mini? No, I'm sorry, yes. Mini. The Mini came out. It used the same pixel density screen as the 3GS, and people were speculating they would save on production costs or by using existing manufacturing processes, existing suppliers, and just cut bigger sheets, as opposed to cutting a 3.5-inch 
3GS screen, which they discontinued, you would get uh, a 7.9-inch mini screen, low, lower pixel density, but 1024-768. And so when you double pixel double that, you get same pixel doubling from 3GS to 4, and the 5S and the 5, you get a 326 pixels per inch. Right. Follow me so far. Uh, yeah, I hope I don't have to answer a math problem after this, though. <laughs> a lot of numbers. Something I noticed is that on the Mini with Retina, which should be very independent, both on the software and the hardware side than on the iPhone line, because iOS on iPad and iPhone are just different. They render differently. Like iPhone, you know, an iPod Touch, the, you know, um, the text is rendered for that screen, optimized for that screen. Yeah. The text, the system text and system menus on the Mini with Retina and the system text and the system menus on the iPhone are exactly the same size physically. Okay. Which so is weird. I think it's designed to well, look like an iPhone as opposed to an iPad Air? It's weird because... it. You said yourself it's the same pixel density. Right, but it should be... An, it's independent of pixel density how, how, how the text renders because the full-size iPad, mm-hmm. it was just a shrunken down version of the full-size iPad. The pixel density, the, the way text renders on the iPad mini is more a factor of the size reduction from the full-size iPad than any relationship with the iPhone. Is the text bigger on the full-size iPad? Yes, okay. it is. So, okay. It is bigger. The, the text so, with, so on the, the full-size t- iPad has no relation yeah. at all to anything with the iPhone. But once they so you're saying that the squish that down, text is married to pixel density. Maybe, where, and uh, but 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 that's independent of the graphics. Which but independent are, of the UI rendering, yeah, of, of of app rendering or anything else. Uh, maybe that's the case. But also the menu bars, like the, the height of the the menu lines, mm-hmm. also exactly the same. Even though there are one's iOS for iPhone, one's iOS mm. for iPad. Um, this made me think about if Apple were to make a a bigger iPhone, they would just go backwards and cut the bigger sheet, the sheet, smaller sheets from the iPad Air screen. And then you just get the iPhone scaled up, still 1136 by 640, but on a five inch screen. Is that the retina? Res- and that would, be, that would be the same resolution if you scaled up those pixels. I think you're exactly right. I would put money on that. Because if you look, if you if you take an iPhone or I, I, iPad Air, which is 2048 by 1536, and you cut just a 1136 by 640 mm-hmm. pixels out of that corner, it would be exactly five inches. I think you have done it. It would be not 1080p or 720 even. It would be lower pixel density than iPhone 5, but same aspect ratio, five inches, and everything looks a little bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think Apple could get away with it. Yep. I think they could get away with it by giving it extremely long battery life. Could they still call it Retina? I think yes, yeah. because you're holding the, the a bigger phone further away from your face. Well, it's, it's, because, because it's because the same I, pixel density as the iPad Retina. iPad Air. If retina. they can get away with still calling it Retina, then yeah, they'll do it. I yep. just wonder if they can get away with releasing a phone in 2014 that doesn't have 720p resolution. Yeah, but you're right. But consistency with for the developer community is one of the things they've got going for them. But you know, I think resolution consistency. I think they'll probably double again before they do that. But oh my know. god, you think so? I, I think that's a mistake. I think doubling again, you're gonna you like we saw with pixel doubling on the first uh, the third gen iPad. You need a bigger battery, brighter LCD. Yeah. I know they have the new LCD process for the iPad Air, and faster processor, and faster processor. 
um, I think the bigger value proposition is consistency in developers uh, and devel- development pipeline, but also bigger uh, the bigger form factor, which I know some people want, and putting a massive batter in there and getting like two day battery life. I don't. And, ha- and I don't have a killer app. I don't have a good sense for how like common, like, the just typical buyers who don't read, you know, tech blogs and stuff. Right. How much do they care about? that spec race. I don't think they care in actual usage, but I do think they do care in, I think the tech blogs and the general like buzz and and, and complaints seeps into mainstream consciousness, whether it actually matters or not. Right. For example, a Galaxy S4 having a 1080p screen or whatever, I don't know how much that ultimately affects sales versus the iPhone's lower res screen, but I, it I'm definitely sure. affects it some. Yeah. So the question is how much? The mini, the mini with Retina is supposed to have a crummy display compared to the Nexus Seven and the uh, Fire yeah. Kindle. Right. But I don't know how much people care, like you say, Wes. People who use it. I, I think the I think that also contributes to people. The iPhone Five C not selling well. The uh, the mainstream media and the enthusiast press just saying what a better phone the 5s is and what the extra hundred dollars gets you in terms of processor and calling the 5c a cheap phone just like just like being louder than apple's marketing it's not cheap it's colorful <laughs> that's right can't do, anyway can't do slow sorry for do that tangent but I, I want to to put that out there and have that conversation with you because it's something that I, I feel like you're gonna put an egg on it you should mock that up you should be the first people on the I've, web. I've, I've written about it already on the site. Okay. But I don't know if people care. Put an egg on it. What does that mean? It is the end of the year. I'm going to put an egg on it. <laughs> there you go, guys. I, Norman Chan, hate hard-boiled eggs with a passion. I don't care how you cook it. I don't care if it's sous vide, hard-boiled, or you know, in a big pot. I hate hard-boiled eggs. But if Apple does not release a larger iPhone next year using a screen that's basically the same DPI, PPI as the iPad, full-size iPad. Air. Air, which is a gorgeous screen. I will eat a hard-boiled egg one year from now. There it is. I've put an egg on it. And that takes us to the end of the year. Uh, CS is coming up. Uh, I'm going to see yes. Wes, you're not going to see yes. Probably. My, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Are you, are you talking with uh, Blam from Wirecutter and figuring it out? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So maybe Wes is going to be at CES. We're not driving down this year, but we will be flying down. Unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be doing our live streams, but we're going to try to get pump out a lot of videos while we're there and do some impromptu stuff, especially for premium members. Um, and uh, we'll be there Monday through Thursday. Uh, we have, already have a bunch of meetings um, set up. So if you expect that we'll be doing something with Oculus, that's reasonable. Um, maybe something with Valve. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. Um, and then earlier this uh, this month, uh, we, have, we have a backlog of content. Joey's just, he's working right now on editing, like all all this all this video footage we've shot in the past month and a half. Uh, Joey and I visited uh, this place called Kerner Works, which was really cool. The uh, real doll factory. Not it wasn't a real doll factory. Um, that's just what everyone on Twitter. That's thought what it was. that's that's what people on Twitter thought it was. Uh, Jeremy, have you heard of Kerner Optical? I've heard of Real Doll. <laughs> not, not the same. Um, it's kind of the same. When ILM uh, moved to the Presidio, uh, a bunch of ex-ILMers um, started a effects company 
I guess they were already doing effects up in uh, stayed in North Bay at, as Kerner Optical. Kerner was the code name for ILM when uh, Star Wars was being made. Hmm. Kerner Optical. Cool. Um, and uh, I, Kerner Optical no longer exists, but there was a spinoff division called Kerner Works that did the hardware. It was a fabrication plant. Did a lot of model effects and a lot of people who worked with Adam and Jamie on old models uh, for movies. Um, they now don't work in movies. And instead, they're a company that makes uh, robots, high-end robots, mannequins for the military, for, for medical training. Oh, they so, are badass and creepy. They are robots that can breathe, that can bleed, and that you can operate on, and incredibly lifelike, because we're talking about people with special effects history and pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the blood effects and all the painting looks very real. And that the military buys and trains uh, field medics to deal with trauma situations and how they can deal with the psych- psychology of... So you can actually perform CPR on, on you this can, robot. It's, it's not just CPR. You can stick a tube down its throat. You can, you can You can stick a needle through... through the, Bring it back to life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I uh, we went to visit that and, and talked to the guy there, uh, the director of Kerner Works, and some of the people who work there. It's, it's super cool. Um, wow. But it's a real interesting story that these were ex- special effects people and they just kind of adapted yeah and did they go that extra mile that a special effects guys would over just the guys they started would. would and they started they definitely do over their competitors i think um but they admitted that they didn't need to be as realistic as yeah. something put on film because they're mass producing mass manufacturing you know dozens of these for the government do they make sound no no they don't ah you know what i'm not sure i have to follow up with that because the first thing you're supposed to ask somebody is are you okay yeah I guess they can't if they can't speak. <laughs> if they're coughing up blood <laughs> and they have amputated, you know, if their legs blown off, then it's going to be a lot of screaming. Yeah, these aren't heart attack victims. These are bombshell victims. Oh, sorry. Uh, we have more talking rooms um, going up on the site. I think one actually just went up on the site today with Damon Lindelof, the co-creator of Lost. It was a real, real interesting interview that Adam did. Uh, we also had iFixit. In our office, um, Kyle uh, Weens from uh, the CEO of iFixit came by a couple weeks ago, and we shot a bunch of teardown videos. So uh, if you haven't seen those, please check them out. They are great. And they're not our traditional teardown videos where we're fumbling over parts and, and breaking things. I know some people like those as well, destroying beautiful things. Um, but Kyle actually pre-disassembled. We didn't want to redo the teardowns that they've already done for their site. So we nulled them out on our table and went over individual components and talked about the components and repairability and manufacturing processes. Um, because he's really interested in repairability and recyclability of products because we shouldn't be buying new phones you know, every year, the phones that are very difficult to recycle. It's, it's a, they're, they're tough to source these, these components. So fascinating stuff. Um, we have uh, three more of those going up on the site for the rest of the year. Uh, Zoidberg Projects, still going on strong. Uh, I was talking to Frank yesterday about some animatronic stuff that might be happening to give you a little bit of a teaser on our Zoidberg costume. Uh, so please check that out. Um, You've got your 12 days of Christmas videos. I've been we, enjoying we do. those. Thank you. Uh, I, I apologize now to everyone for not looking at the camera for I, those. I didn't want to ask. We had a miscommunication <laughs> where we shot all of mine in one day and I looked at the coverage camera the whole time it was a it was a very busy day, and I, it, that's a terrible excuse. And there is no excuse. It's not artsy. It's 
and we didn't have time to, to reshoot them because, like I said, Joey has a ton of stuff to work on. Um, but I hope you've been enjoying them. They're, they're not really gift guides. They're just like a little showcase of things that we liked and things that we've bought and things that, and how we use them. You know, weird things like uh, like that kinetic sand over there. Um, and that's that's it for the year. I want to go over the, the year in review. What, what were your guys' favorite favorite moments, favorite products? Your big winners and losers. We'll do predictions at the very end. Well, well clearly, J- Jeremy's favorite moment was the the kids showing his family the his iPhone video. Oh, the, the Apple ad. That was your favorite He's moment touching. of the year. <laughs> He's misunderstood. Look, I'm not saying I didn't cry. <laughs> it that's a good commercial. My favorite moment though was probably when I received my Oculus Rift because that's mm. I mean that's just so exciting. Before or after using it. Oh no! Using it, I was probably even better, but but un- unboxing it and seeing the care that they put into a Kickstarter project, the case to the you know physical design of the thing itself, and then booting up Unity and trying to you know make something, it was just a blast. I mean, I, that was a major major milestone. I think in gaming, but certainly in my year. I, I want to say yeah. In terms of winners this year, Oculus was probably the biggest winner, and it filled up the entire year. CES was the first big showing of Oculus, um, and I mean, we had, I think Will had backed it when we were back at the old Whiskey office, so that's like, we're talking early 2012 is when that was backed, and one year later, getting it, seeing them in CES, them winning Best of Show at CES, and people just getting a sense, everyone, it had that like, just, just buzz, like once someone used it, you, 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 you wanted to speak only in hyperbole. And it was done by indies, you know? Yeah. Any of the console manufacturers could have done this, and, but... Nobody had faith in VR. It reminded me a lot of, and I hate to go back to Apple, but in 2007, just the perfect timing of technologies yeah. and, co- and, and products and, and chips being at the right cost and accelerometers being the right place and capacitive touchscreens for something like the iPhone to be released and Apple just being on that. And now Oculus. And, this, and there this was, time it was a 21-year-old. And this time it was Palmer Lucky and his friends. And I mean, he had been tracking VR for a long time. Yeah. And so he knew when the technology would be right. And then just having that foresight to, to do this. Um, and then following through in a big way. It's incredible. That's mine. That's, that's, the, that's the big winner this year. Uh, Kickstarter, another big winner this year. We keep on... I remember doing the math back then because we we're we we're uh, with the the first big Kickstarter was the video game uh, was the Telltale, double double, double fine yes yeah. double finds project double fine adventure um, and we we're doing the math because Kickstarter tells you how much they take what cut they take how is 5%. this sustainable as a company right yeah. well it wasn't and Kickstarter as, as, a, as a as a oh for Kickstarter not, Kickstarter not like, how how can this be a, a multi million dollar company if they're taking five percent of ten thousand dollars projects here and there and and with tons of competitors indiegogo and all sorts of crowdfunding programs but kickstarter this year for good or for and bad as a as a way you know as a pre-order mechanism as a, as a way for filmmakers professional filmmakers to get funding has just exploded into the mainstream um and it is one of those things that i, I a metric of how successful uh one of these services are like amazon for example you can go back and see how many things you bought from Amazon over the years. It's fun actually to go like, oh, in 2005, I bought four things from Amazon. And like when Prime hit, I bought, I doubled that, you know? And like this year, I bought 
10 things a month from yep. Amazon, right? And you can go to your Kickstarter history and just look, you know, wow, you did the indie, uh, indie game, the movie project, yep. you know, one Kickstarter way back two years ago. And now people are doing backing Kickstarters left and right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, what a successful company. I mean, yeah. and they used to be at least, probably still are very picky about who can be on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. They have very strict rules about it. It's not like they're they're letting everybody in. They're not making as much money as they could be. Yeah, I mean, there's it's, all, it's spun off a whole subcategory of content coverage and like Kickstarter of the week and Kickstarter summaries. Yeah, you know, here are the things you should be on the lookout for that's launching on Kickstarter this week. Um, this this week I buy, I I backed a a rubber band machine gun. <laughs> yeah, which is, you already have one of those. No, I have a, a shotgun. The rubber band shotgun. This is a, a fully automatic machine gun that holds 672 rubber bands. Oh my Whoa. God, that's different. You load it 14 at a time. But even when you load them 14 at a time, it takes 48 loads to get to 672. Are you like manually loading there's, each There's a mechanism. Priming? If, you, uh, if, if you pay the $100 back, backing level, um, you get the fast loader mechanism, which lets you like crank back and load 14 at once. And it includes 700 rubber bands, fully automated. It looks great. 85 bucks for it. I thought it was a good deal. Anyway, um, I think Nexus devices had a real big success this year. Nexus 5, Nexus 7 Nexus, for sure. Nexus 5 and Nexus 7 just being so cheap and compared to pretty much everything else off contract. and Being so cheap and I think also kind of making OEM partners their bitch. Like, OEM partners are now, and Samsung doesn't care. I don't think we'll see another Samsung Nexus device ever. Because Samsung wants the margins Apple has. And Samsung doesn't need, Galaxy is its own brand. And Galaxy is a brand that's opposed to Nexus. Uh, But HTC and LG are all beholden to this Nexus program now. Yeah, it kind of seems like it's Google Nexus, Google Motorola, Yep. And then Samsung is kind of the big independent name. And now like HTC and LG. And Asus. And Asus, like they make their own stuff that isn't Nexus stuff, but it's right. not really selling. You think about the Asus, like the uh, the the, uh, the pads, whatever they're, they're called. Um, Transformer? The, no, no, no. The the Nexus 7 pad, like pads, because Asus makes, made last year's and this year's um, tr- uh, Nexus 7s, but they sell their own version, also cheap. Uh, the one, they're forced to sell it cheap now because Nexus has kind of, establish this high quality low margin model which google obviously doesn't care about they just want more android devices out there like google could not care less about the margins on these devices google has the marketing strength which just is android strength um and it's a catch-22 for oems like lg like they want to sell the lg g2 because it's their flagship it's their best phone but they also have to devote manufacturing to building nexus 5 and it's not just like you can just put a new case on the same phone it is basically taking those components and, and building a whole new assembly line for the Nexus 5, and they do it at the expense of the G2, or maybe because the G2 failed. Why does Apple care any more than Google about margins on the hardware if it's just an OS grab in order to it, get people Apple to use their services? Apple is not an OS grab. But Apple is, is a hardware grab. Yeah, yeah, I know they make a lot of money on hardware, but... That's, they only make money on hardware. They make money on their services. You get the... So little as a percentage. All right. You look at these... Uh, Dan Lyons, I think, does a... I'm sorry, not Dan Lyons. Dan Rather. No, 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 no. Um, one of one of these uh, bloggers does these great charts after every uh, every Apple uh, quarterly earnings report. Just 
showing the distribution of where the revenue is coming from. And you can see iPod slowly going down, Mac staying steady, but not really growing. And it's iOS and hardware just being where all the growth is. And are the services embedded and in those? No, or no, that, services. That's a separate category. Separate. And, okay. and very small all right. in terms of iTunes and, um, and apps, apps. App Store, all yeah. their, yeah, yeah, 30%. Yeah. And, and so back to Google, I mean, I think this next program, I, I, I think for a company like HTC and even Samsung to some extent, the Google Play program is what they wanted out of Nexus. Google Play. You know, you get the full price phone, 650 bucks. HTC gets majority of that. You get, users are happy. They get a, a Google Play experience, you know, without the skins. Um, but Nexus kind of screwed that. Like if you were to say, if, if someone were to ask, you know, should I get the Samsung Galaxy S4 Google Play Edition for this much or a Nexus 5 and you're on AT&T or T-Mobile, I could not say, don't, you know, don't get Nexus 5. You could not say don't get I Nexus 5. I could not 5. say don't get Nexus 5. Hmm. I would have to say get the Nexus 5. So great year for Nexus. And who, who knows next year, there's always rumors about the Nexus 8. Um, and I think Netflix, also the other big winner this year. I think a huge success with its uh, original programming. Their stock came back, baby. Oh yeah, I'll tell you that. Huge. I mean, we don't cover financials, but this year Facebook bounced back. Netflix skyrocketed. Amazon stayed stayed high. And Thanks, Google House of Cards. High. And and it's not like every show they've done has been a success. I think Arrested Development was received critically poorly. Um, and but House of Cards in but terms of building th- that paid off by the just by the hype. Oh, yeah. Everyone was yeah. excited about it. Yeah. And it got people just aware of original programming. Orange yeah. is the New Black. And led, led people to House of Cards, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Which uh, that second season trailer is already out. And, and even their original movies. Have you guys seen the trailer for the Mitt Romney documentary? It's a Netflix original. I haven't seen the trailer. It came out yesterday. And I was a little disappointed that, that they, I know why they do it. And they release trailers for their, their shows. Like they released the season two House of Cards trailer this week, and also that Mitt Romney documentary tra- documentary trailer. But it seems so un Netflix for me to be able to watch that trailer, but not watch and the not show. immediately watch it right there, like instant gratification. You would have done it, because I, I would have done it. I was like, you know what, I, that trailer is awesome. And while I was watching the trailer, I'm like, I'm going to set the next two hours of my time to watch this movie, and I have to wait till January 24th. You know, another winner for me is audio. It's been an audio year for me. Oh. I mean, every time I, I actually consider, I still think about buying music. And then I realize, oh, well, wait, 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 wait. I've got audio. You mean streaming music services in general, subscription Spot- services? Spotify, audio, yeah. those seem like the two big ones to me. Um, yeah, I guess Spotify is bigger, uh, but it's I'm an audio. They have more subscriber. selection, but... It's it's the Xbox least, PlayStation War of the music I guess age. so, yeah, yeah. When I used them, audio had a much nicer user experience and way better discoverability. I like, like it because like, it's web-based. Like Spotify has Spotify a Spotify is web player. Do they? Because when I was checking it out, it had, you had to download the app. There is web player now. Gotcha. Spotify has a really good back catalog. Like if you want to listen, if you know what you want to listen to, they have it pretty much. Yeah. But audio, if you don't know what you want to listen to, they have really good recommendations and discovery based on genre or what your friends are listening yeah. to, or this artist is like this other artist and stuff like that. Pretty I mean, that, that's back, where, yeah. in terms of music recommendation services, where Last FM and Pandora kind of fell by the wayside because they're non-subscription models and they're beholden to DMCA um, regulations, which has kind of screwed them in terms of how many royalties they have to pay. And Pandora has been, it's public and it's doing a, doing relatively well in terms of it being a significant portion of internet bandwidth and how many millions of users they have. People love free, but it has not been profitable uh, as a whole just because they have to pay so many royalties. And Spotify coming from 
um, someone like uh, Sean, um, not Sean Fanning, the other Sean. The Napster guy? Napster. Uh, that's Sean Fanning, the, the Facebook guy. Parker. Sean Parker. Also the Napster All, guy. Was he also the Napster guy? Yeah. I guess there were two Seans. Yeah. Um, Sean Parker and, uh, and, having, and going directly to the studios and doing business relationships and, and now to getting exclusive content. Like that's where the next battlefield's going to be in terms of um, audio versus Spotify is exclusives. Who's going to get the next Beyonce? Yeah, who, who's going to get it first at least for two weeks? Um, and that's that. I mean, it is like the console war. We're talking about yeah, you know so. finding parity and getting exclusives. Did you just watch that South Park episode? This, nope. The trilogy of uh, the console war. Third episode was awesome. So great, so great. Um, big losers of this year. NSA stuff, the public. <laughs> yeah, the government and the public. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, the, that terrible 60 Minutes, CBS 60 Minutes I interview. I think healthcare is, the, yeah. is probably the biggest failure. Tech of, failure. Like things that are important and matter, that was mm-hmm. a total failure. Yeah, not everything we've talked about before this actually really doesn't matter to our everyday lives. Healthcare matters. Yeah. And, and for like the companies involved in doing that being such big names and having supposedly brilliant people working at them for that site to fail as hard and completely as it did, it's pretty unacceptable. As someone who has to buy health insurance, that sucks. I haven't you, even yeah. tried because yeah. what's the point? Um, I think wearables has, has failed this year in terms of how, how much how hyped up it was. What, what you, what's a wearable like a Fitbit, something like like the wearable computing, just like if you thought that Galaxy Watch was going to be good, Samsung thought it was going to be good. You mean like the Pebble, like the Pebble? Yeah, I think the Pebble didn't explode nearly as much as I think people thought it would. Made ten million on Kickstarter, and I, I haven't seen a Pebble. You think it's, ahead, it's in Best Buy? I don't know. Yeah, is it ahead of its time? You think? Or? I think it's ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next year might be the year for that. I mean, quantity. Quantifying your life is is big now. People love it. And finding the right way to do a, a wearable piece of technology that might not need a camera and, and can last for longer than a day of use is going to be pretty important. I think the right the confluence, the right confluence of technologies and costs isn't there just yet. We're still waiting for someone to, to, to do that well. And then Windows. Windows 8 and Windows Phone. Still kind of sucks. Windows Phone, nothing. I mean, there was a big Nokia purchase, Nokia purchase this year. Approved. It's going to happen. I haven't heard anything about Windows Phone in the past two months. And I know I'm not following it as, as much as some people online and Windows fans. And, and I know there are a lot. But this was supposed to be, I mean, how, how much longer can you wait before it gets any traction? So yesterday or the day before I was talking to one of my uncles who just bought a new laptop, just got like a a cheapo laptop at Walmart or something on Black Friday, has Windows 8 installed on it, has a touchscreen. And I was walking him through uh, some process. I was trying to get him Dropbox so I could send him something. And the user interface of Windows 8, he's like, well, he was glad he could touch it, but he didn't notice the difference between like the desktop and the web browser because of like the way things are full screen for every app. So I was like, okay, go to your desktop. There's a folder for Dropbox. The file will just go there. And he's like, okay, I'm in Dropbox, blah, blah, blah. It's wanting me to download it. And I'm like, 
are you on the website for Dropbox or in the app for Dropbox? And he's like, oh, I'm in Internet Explorer. <laughs> Which is full screen. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's a relatively small problem, but I think it speaks to just how terribly designed Windows 8 is. Yeah. I, I think that the idea of, on, on desktop at least, not compartmentalizing the experience in full screen apps like you can do on a phone and a tablet is a big thing. And I think that Microsoft took too, committed too much to that with their full screen modern Metro apps. Um, anything else? Any, any other big winners or losers you guys think of? You guys follow tech? Tesla. Tesla is a big winner this year. Sure. The electric car. Yeah, that's true. They, they handled that PR debacle pretty well with the one that caught on fire. Which was so so dumb, I think. I mean, it, I guess Tesla did have a couple, um, a few PR I think they problems ended up, this year in terms of gas mileage. They or, benefited yeah. from that one, I think, in the end, because they it was like the New York Times writer or New York yeah. something writer, and then they fired back with, you know, oh, we, tra- you know, we track yes. journalists' things, here's all our right. data, and I think that probably was good buzz for them overall. I think it's, too early, it's still very early days for Tesla. You know, I think that they haven't had their winner year yet. I mean, are, you, are you gonna early adopt? I mean, you, you haven't early adopted it's too late. yet. No, I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna get a Model X. Maybe the next one. Next S is gonna be the big one. It's well, like the Prius. Yeah. You want the second or third gen Prius? That's when we really hit its stride. Yeah, the first exactly. one looks so ugly. Anyway. This the Model X looks pretty awesome though. It's got the gull wing doors. Falcon wing doors. That's the yeah. the SUV, Falcon, right? Sorry, Falcon you're right wing. because they bend. They bend. It's really cool. <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, Go over predictions, both last year and this year. And I'm sorry we didn't uh, recall our predictions from last year. Gary and Will were both here last year. And we all three of us said some really stupid things. So please, uh, podcast listeners, dig up the, the podcast, the last episode from last year, and tell us all the things that we got wrong. I don't care what we got right. I just want to know what we got wrong and post them in the comments below. I know I said some really stupid things. I wish I had hard-boiled eggs. No, I don't wish I had hard-boiled eggs to, to eat right now. Um, there was no Apple TV. I guess all the console stuff, the, most of the console stuff we said came true. No 4K. 4K never took off. Still waiting for that to happen. I mean, it exists. You can buy it. Yeah, but never, never took off. Um, yeah, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't remember, recall what our predictions were from last year, but let's make some predictions for next year. 2014. I was going to say 4K because you, uh, the HDMI 2.0 spec is now done, but no one's had time to implement it. It'll be in v- probably as of next, very early next year, if not already as a firmware update. And uh, 4K prices are now almost affordable. You can get 4K TVs for $3,000. You can get 4K monitors for well under that, half of that. Dell has two 4K monitors. Yeah. Uh, they have a, I believe, a 24-inch and also a 32-inch. Um, both over $1,000, but they will have one under $1,000 that's 28 inches. Yeah, I'm talking about like 55-inch TVs. Yeah. You know, you can get, they're now, they used, to, I mean, a year ago, they were $10,000. Mm-hmm. And then they went down to maybe five, and now they're finally really coming down around Christmas. So I'm saying 4K is, 2014 is the year of 4K. It will be for me. I'm very skeptical of the scalers in those TVs. The, the scalers c- look great even this year. At, at CES. CES. Right. But those aren't the TVs that are on sale for... 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, through 2,000 bucks. 4K content, also, the delivery methods suddenly be worked out. Netflix has, you know, leaked that that's, they may that's low get bit involved. Rate. Yeah, I know, but it'll still be the right res. <sighs> bit rate is not something people care about. 
telling that's, you. That's so sad. There's one thing MP3 and Netflix that has taught us. So, but MP3. It's, it's, it's so, convenience trumps quality. Wow. A little bit of a disappointment. Let's go around the circle. Jeremy, you started. You said 4K is going to be a thing yeah. next year. Yeah, yeah. Do I just get one thing? You, we, no, we're going to go in a circle. We're going to keep on going until okay. we run out of predictions. But that's, that's the tested tradition. Uh, I will go next. Apple TV next year. I'm saying it. Happening. Apple, Apple TV as a, uh, <laughs> you know, I might have said the same thing last year. Apple TV as a physical TV. Can you make the prediction about what makes it a killer TV? Besides that cool logo? Because that's, that, that's the question that still remains in my head. That is. I, if, if I had the answer, I wouldn't be working here. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to think about that for a second. Can I in, interject? You, you can. I uh, think it might be uh, cloud-based DVR for every station. So you think they're going to work out the content partnerships with yep. all, all the content providers? I do. I do. Okay. Wes? NVIDIA G-Sync is going to be big, big deal for monitors. Explain to people what NVIDIA G-Sync is. So G-Sync is NVIDIA's, like, their solution to getting rid of V-Sync and getting rid of, um, I don't know how to describe it. So Tearing? In, screen tearing? Screen, screen tearing. So V-Sync is done to eliminate screen tearing by aligning by keeping your graphics card only pumping out frames at the frame rate of your monitor. The refresh rate. The refresh rate of the monitor. But then you can get stuttering because the card is producing frames too quickly or too slowly. Uh, G-Sync aligns what your card puts out to the monitor's refresh rate, right? Am I getting that right? Or is it now refresh rate is not locked at 60 yes. hertz? And so, yes. Yeah, so refresh rate is no longer will no longer be locked to 60 hertz. And instead the display will, will refresh at pace with the graphics card. And they've developed a chip to go into monitors to control this, like several years of engineering effort. It's coming out in an ASUS monitor in January, although you can just buy it right now. Like a couple uh, resellers have them now, so you can buy one. I'm sure they're going to show off more monitors at, at CES. And at some point you'll be able to buy this chip to install yourself if you have a specific monitor that is that supports it. Um, I think a lot of the gaming-oriented panels in, in 2014 will probably start offering G-Sync options or switch to G-Sync or something like that. All right. Jeremy? Well, I don't know. It's more of a hope. Can I, I'm just going to hope because maybe it'll happen. But that, Be um, optimistic. John Carmack is not doing hardware engineering. He's, he's doing software engineering for Oculus, and he will be making the killer app. Oh, Mm. That's 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 a good one. Um. Oh gosh, I had one and then I lost it. I, Prediction. I want to talk about the John Carmack a little bit more because okay. yeah. I think when he signed on to split his time between ID and Oculus, there's no way he was doing game software stuff. He was just there to work on the hardware and and maybe like firmware and software for Oculus, but now that he has totally severed ties with id due to some stuff that he alluded to being pretty fucked up, like at the, at the company, he's like, someday the whole story will come out of what has happened at id the last few years. I think you, there is definitely potential now for him to be there working on hardware for a while and then be like, I sure miss making games and do, do some game software too. Masters of Doom part two. Yeah. 
got to get Romero doing something. Like, have you been on Romero's <laughs> website? No. I, I went, I saw uh, Doom had, oh, Doom had its 20th anniversary. Yeah, that's right. This, uh, we, we didn't talk about that. That was a huge thing. And um, there was a great Metafilter uh, thread about it. And great links to all the like Doom. There's still a big Doom community out there, and, and great Doom mods and, and versions, and and the source has obviously been out for a while. But one of the links led me to John Romero's website, and it's made me think about, oh, where's that guy? What is that guy doing these days? And nothing lasts forever. Ozymandias. What's your John Romero prediction for 2014? I don't have a John Romero prediction for 2014. No, not without a. Not without incurring some libel. <laughs> um, uh, I think the Steam controller is going to be a dud. Wow. And that's me hedging and hoping I'm wrong, but I think it's going to be a dud. Ah, too early to say, man. I know it is. Absolutely too early to this say. Is, and I, 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 you I, never that's, why see, it's, that's why it's a prediction. You never see early hardware released to the media like you are with this. And if you, so if you did, so you'd true. say so many things would be a dud. So I'm hoping. I, and I, I, I hope along with you, the get, highest of hopes. <laughs> given the 300 people that they have and the, all the developers, that they will figure out how to utilize that control. What I, mean, what I mean by that is that it will fail in its attempt to replicate the, the keyboard mouse experience that PC gamers want in the living room, while at the same time, it might be, an, I, I don't know if it's going to be an improvement on two thumbstick controllers that console gamers love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's it's not going to satisfy everyone. The right uh, one of the programmers for Super Meat Boy wrote a pretty good. Um, he didn't like it. Thing on uh, he liked it pretty well. Did he? Uh, on he wrote a thing on Gama Sutra about using it, uh, and said initially he was he was he he kind of talked about how sensitive he was to latency and how like he felt like the thing was laggy until they went into the TV and turned the game mode on cuz the display was was laggy it was like a plasma or lcd or whatever um he said he thought the the clicking for using like a as a button substitute clicking on the thumb pads that was fine uh he thought that they should add little nubs to the directions on the the touch pads just so you get kind of that specific like this is up this is left mm-hmm. and so on and he said that in the end, he would use the 360 pad over the Steam pad due to familiarity, but that he was able to basically pull off everything he could do in Super Meat Boy on a regular controller with this one. He was he, he thought it was pretty good. Hmm. Wes? Some big shit's going to go down at Microsoft next year, which is pretty well, vague, that, but that's, they're, they're going to have the big CEO yep. changeover, and I think we'll see some major changes in, in direction, either for Windows or for Xbox, maybe both. Is there a chance that Xbox might go away as a Microsoft division? And get spun out into yeah. something separate? I don't think that'll happen. Jeremy? Um, that's, that, that was a pretty weak prediction, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to say that the Apple Watch will precede the Apple TV. Wearables. I th- well, yeah. I th- it just seems like uh, I've been hearing that rumor at least just as long. What's the cool feature and it, outside of the, sh- the logo that's going to make you want to buy the Apple Watch? Um, I don't think it's anything more than the Pebble. It'll just be well-designed. It'll be smaller, have a nicer screen, and it'll interface completely with the with iOS. 
So you'll be able to get your everything that you don't have to have your phone on your hand. That easy. I don't think the battery life is going to be great, but I just think it'll be out before the Apple TV. All right. So two two new hardwares from Apple. I guess that's that's an interesting prediction. I don't know where Apple can go with the iPhone and the iPad. Yeah. I'm Aside big, from bigger phone, you no know, thinner, thinner, lighter. Um, I think robots are going to be big next year. Come on, that's shittier than yeah, my that prediction. That is shittier than my prediction. I, I got I, I to think of a good one. What company won't exist next year? I think last year we said BlackBerry won't exist by this time. It's still around. I think BlackBerry... That's also pretty pretty easy. Something something bolder. What's what's gonna go away? I don't know. I, I, bolder I, is usually just stupider. I think this this is running out of steam. Fair fair enough. It turns out predictions are difficult. Uh, if you have your own prediction for what's gonna come in the world of tech, science, entertainment, and culture in 2014, we all know. I'm first in line to see Fast Seven. Whenever they finish that, I saw Fast Six. Loved it. Digital Paul Walker with his brother. P- Paul Walker will be the first fully digital actor in, like a, in a film. Simulation One. I uh, predict tested premium content will be a huge success in 2014. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. I, I apologize to those watching now who remembers that we haven't had uh, the output that we've wanted because a third of us are on vacation right now and uh, we're still working out our, our video player and stuff. But a lot of ideas, I have some, some fun ideas for tested premium content. We'll be doing a bunch of stuff at CES also. But that will, I think, wrap it up for 2013. This is only a test. We had a successful Octobercast. We've done some pretty amazing things this year. I can't, like, I can go month by you month. You went to the LHC. I went, I, that doesn't, I, that was this year. That was this year. I was going to say NASA. We went to NASA. We met David Chang, one of the best chefs in America. Went to the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. We we built a, a Halo Needler or had that project on the site. What other amazing things have we done this year? You ate hot peppers on a twenty four hour podcast. We ate hot peppers. We did and a successful. Kill you. And, have, but that's a memory that I like. I, 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 I can actually go back to it and tap into that feeling of how hot that felt. Now I know. Um, I can't even, I'm, I, I don't remember what else happened this year. I'm, I'm trying to look at the wall and everything that was all last year. Uh, went to New York, Maker Fair, went to Dragon Con for the first time, had an incredibly successful Comic Con, um, and we'll get to do it all again in 2014 hopefully along with you guys thanks so much for listening to our podcast and for watching our silly videos and for reading the stuff we have on tested.com um i hope i can speak for the regular crew will and gary uh, in, in thanking everyone for for watching and we'll be around for a lot longer um we have we have merch also new tested t-shirts in the store right now thanks wes and thanks jeremy for for um for for being closers and, and being clutch in the on our last minute podcast. 
My we pleasure. Wanted to have one before Absolutely. the end of the year. Uh, we'll see you next year. Uh, no fake outtakes because we're running super long. Uh, but see you guys in 2014. Bye. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. I like fruit and I like being a ninja, and this game is for me because it's called Fruit Ninja.